Fishes podcast episode 319 hard to believe we're already at that number i feel like we just broke 300 um we have a really cool guest for you guys today um hopefully you guys can uh um can see everybody uh i know sometimes we have uh huh, interesting it's not showing him on the screen he is here we do have a speaker um we'll try switching back and forth and seeing if that doesn't work better um but we do have um uh, Erasoning from uh, Indian Land Race joining us today, uh, uh, all the way from uh, India. So, if you guys have seen any of the amazing videos from pa- Afghanistan and Pakistan and some of the other incredible videos from his Instagram, uh, uh, definitely uh, go check it out. Um, we do have a little bit of uh, uh, housekeeping before we get started. Did want to do a quick announcement. I thought I had the tab open, and apparently I didn't. So let me throw this up here. Oh, wrong one. Here we go. Um, just before we get started, be sure to go check out um, our different websites. We're running a fall sale right now. You can use code FALL uh, for big discount on all of our classes, the Aquaponic Cannabis Masterclass at apmjclass.com, the Living Soil and Aquaponic Pest Control Course at thepestclass.com, and the Aquaponic Mineral and Microbe Masterclass at Minerals or the nutrientclass.com i'm sorry nutrientclass.com and that will be launching here in january we have a whole new new course for you guys so be sure to check those out all righty guys um uh, thanks for watching if you guys aren't familiar with our guest let me pull up his instagram here uh, he has one of the coolest instagrams on the internet uh, that's for damn sure um, and he brings us these incredible videos like he did yesterday of uh, Afghanistan and some of the different projects that they're working on. Um, I mean, you, you certainly uh, don't see that type of uh, phenotypical variation in most people's fields. <laughs> it's one of the nicest things about going to land race fields is uh, just a huge amount of genetic diversity. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. Um, do you want to introduce yourself and, uh, and tell uh, everybody how you got started? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, thank you uh, so much for asking me to come over on the show. Um, really appreciate it. And my entire team as well. Um, yeah, my, so I'm Irazin. Irazin, it's IG is just for like Instagram. So yeah, my name is Irazin and, um, you know, I'm one of the members of Indian Land Risk Exchange. Uh, in fact, I was uh, w- one of the persons who actually started uh, the collective, but now uh, it's a strong collective. There are a lot of people uh, who are from different countries. Uh, that includes farmers, collectors, and um, uh, people uh, you know who document uh, academic stuff about the plants, which sometimes you know farmers are not able to because you know they have a different educational background. So you know we have uh, you know all kinds of people now in this collective and what they do is like all of them just, you know, do their bit. And when it all comes together, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it becomes like, you know, uh, like sort of an annual journey each year where we can show people, you know, 
how crops are sown and then watered and tended to, how they're fertilized, you know, how they appear at a certain stage and then how they transition. And I mean, pretty much uh, people are able to see uh, a lot, which I believe, uh, you know, would have been different if we were uh, speaking, uh, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so that's basically, uh, you know, what, uh, what I do in this collective along, you know, all, all the other members. So, yeah, and, you know, all of our work is uh, published on this page, Reds and Ideas. You already showed it. So thank you so much for that as well. And, um, you know, mo most of the work is uh, being published on this on a daily basis. And uh, pe people can uh, actually uh, keep up with our journey if they uh, wish to through Instagram. So tell us a little bit about some of the different, um, uh, it seems like you guys have access to so many different types of cultivars. Uh, do you have any that uh, particularly stand out in your mind? I know the red, the red Marif uh, mm. that we're looking at here uh, uh, certainly is definitely one that I've seen a little bit in the U.S. Uh, in some crosses. But um, uh, tell us a little about some of the different um, cultivars that you guys have been working with because you guys have so many amazing ones. I know I've been following your Instagram for quite a long time and uh, it's really exciting to finally have you on and, and tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's uh, one of the more interesting things I would say is that, you know, being able to work with so many different plants from so many different regions and, uh, you know, different plants as in not, uh, say, within one country, because uh, let's let's talk about play, uh, Afghanistan, for example. So if we're going to Afghanistan, you know, uh, surely there is uh, diversity, intra-population as well, inter-population as well, you know. You go from one field to another field, uh, you'll see some sort of differences, of course, in heights. Um, but, you know, those are mainly because of, uh, you know, how those crops have been brought up and, you know, how they, they fertilize them and pretty much they're shaped by the environment. So more than, you know, the, the people have uh, to do with them. So you know, going to a different country is, uh, is really important. It really becomes important. If you really want to see something different like yourself, you're in Thailand right now. And I'm sure you're experiencing all kinds of amazing, you know, long flowering plants. And I'm not trying to say that you, you must not have seen them in back in US, but, you know, Thailand, it, it must be, you know, everywhere and, you know, so much variety. So it's just the very same thing for us as well. You know, when we go to India, let's say we go to Milana, you know, it's, it's just a whole different kind of plant that we encounter over there you know the smells are different the, the appearance is different uh, the entire climate uh, you know cycle is different it just rains a lot and you know the, the snowfall comes in at a different time and then you go to a different country like you know Afghanistan you have a totally you know 180 degree flip you have extremely dry environment and you know absolutely no rains and you have shorter flowering varieties, the plant that tend to stay short, you know, because there's not so much moisture out there, uh, you know, to really grow out the, the way plants grow in India or other Southeast Asian, uh, you know, countries. So it's, it's really interesting to look at the contrast at the end of the day, you know, when uh, you're looking at plants from so many different countries. And, you know, uh, you, you name Maruf uh, red selection, you know, that, that, that's the one from the year, that was hunted in 2019 and then it was you know uh, given out in 2020 early around new year and i've seen a lot of people were able to grow it actually uh, you know reproduce preserve it which was the goal and then also you know incorporate this variety into their existing gene pool 
you know, for whatever reason they found it fit. And, you know, I just want to talk about that plant in particular, uh, you know, because it's such an amazing plant. And I think it's one of the best selection that we have been able to, uh, you know, bring in over the years that we've been working. And the, the fact that plant contains smell of, you know, rotting flesh, you know, uh, the, the smell that you would generally uh, associate with things like, um, like hydrogen sulfide sort of like smells that smell of like rotting eggs and flesh. So that, that was uh, quite, you know, new for us as well. So we were really excited, but, but uh, the interesting thing was like people were already aware back in US and some in Europe, they already know, okay, plants, you would find plants out there, you know, that might have this kind of terpene profile, but uh, it was just like a matter of actually finding them and actually experiencing those things that they actually exist was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the other interesting terp profiles that you've found so far? I mean, that one's the rotting meat and the, the, the sulfur sounds uh, really interesting. What are some of the other ones? Because it's definitely not one that you see very often here in the U.S. Um, you know, the one that is really common in Southeast Asia, and it's not in U.S., I would say is those uh, woody berry, uh, you know, flavors. Um, I'm sure by now you must have, uh, you know, uh, consumed a lot of Thai. Uh, you, 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 I, I was seeing your Instagram, so you've been there for a while now. So you must be smoking a lot of Thai local weed and, you know, all kinds of land-based varieties from different provinces. So by now you must have figured out there's this uh, weird, you know, berry, woody, that incense sort of uh, mixed flavor per se, you know, that that's there. And it's very hard to, I've never been able to find that in, you know, varieties that come out of US because if they have a berry smell, it, it it's a lot different. It's more like a candy berry. It's not really uh, like, like an actual berry or like an actual, uh, you know, uh, fruit-like smell. It's, it's more on, on a candy-like tangent. So, you know, that's one of the differences that uh, I've been able to, uh, you know, see, experience rather, you know, when, when we consume uh, varieties from United States, which were, you know, bred post 2000 and all, and the varieties which have been growing here uh, by traditional producers. So the, the, there are a lot of differences in terps and that I think is one of the really interesting terpene profiles, you know, uh, the one that is really common in the longer problem varieties and it's, it's just very hard to find in us what are some of the other traits that you see in the longer flower varieties i think a lot of people in the us simply don't have a grow season long enough to try and um you know experiment with some of these i know you know some of the ones that i've seen out here you know are on month four of flower and they're you know probably have a good month and a half to two months left um you know, people simply just don't have anywhere where they can grow something that large that long uh, unless they have a greenhouse, you know, that's a personal greenhouse. So what are some of the other different traits? I know that you see a lot more stacking in the buds. You can see, um, you know, uh, it, to me, it seems like a lot of the longer flowering ones tend to have a lot more lemonine or pinene uh, in them, uh, more of a pine smell or lemon smell in general, or at least having that, that flavor to them than, than the shorter flowered ones. What are some of the other traits that you've seen? Um, yeah, so like it's it's a big problem, and like first of all, uh, US is like mostly located, and even like European countries are mostly located on higher latitudes. I mean, if not very high latitudes, so snowfall is like a common occurrence in most of the places where people are trying to get these seeds and trying to experiment with them. 
So yeah, it, it becomes a problem for them if they're trying to grow these uh, you know varieties outside because of the short shorter season length. But I, I think there is a whole lot more. While there is a longer flowering period, there's you know there are a lot more out there in those genetics that, that people can look forward to and they can perhaps overlook you know the longer flowering time. You know one of those things would be uh, you know the survivability of the plant itself. You know apart from everything else. The, the plant itself is able to survive on very, very minimal feeding. I mean, as a matter of fact, uh, in most cases, you, you don't really need to feed the plant a lot. And they tend to uh, really express, uh, you know, more or less in the same way. I mean, uh, there's not much difference in the yields or you wouldn't see the plant suffering uh, for a certain uh, nutrient, at, you know, at times while it's not really being fed all those, you know, proper nutrients like, uh, you know, most people feed their crops, uh, which are like commercial crops. So, so that's like one of the things. But and if we even go, you know, further and, um, you know, we want to talk about like even uh, better characteristics, which people can look forward to and then can perhaps take them and integrate into their own varieties or own gene pool would be, uh, you know, the ability of that plant to withstand the wet and the humid environment. Because I, I think, you know, if, if you look at uh, even in uh, United States or in Europe, there are a lot of places that uh, have, uh, you know, wet environments. I mean, throughout the year, you know, it, it stays wet. Um, however, they have a slightly different uh, situation. It stays wet and cold uh, opposed to the, you know, wet, warm as you get in Thailand or, you know, in other tropical places. But what we have been able to see from the people who have grown these varieties, not uh, Thai, because um, I, I personally do not, you know, deal in Thai varieties. Um, but the other Southeast Asian varieties, like one from the Burma or from Indonesia, or uh, let's say from Laos and Cambodia, which are like neighboring countries, those varieties do really well, even in wet and cold, uh, you know, condition. So we already know they're doing well in, uh, you know, wet and warm conditions back at home. But even when they're grown in places like, you know, Pacific Northwest and, you know, like Northern California, where it's, uh, you know, it, it tends to get like really wet and cold uh, right around the harvest. And you even get like these rainfall around like October, I think, which is like every year. It's a short stint, but it happens on an annual basis. So these plants, if you can, uh, you know, use them in your breeding and somehow people can, you know, integrate those uh, traits into their population, they can have populate, they can have varieties, you know, they still flower shorter, uh, but they would have qualities that, you know, they can be run outside without having to worry about the flower is going to rot or, you know, the other issues that arise from, you know, wet, wet conditions. So I think that's the biggest incentive out there to grow Southeast Asian varieties. And I, I think like Thai varieties are like really on the top when, when we talk, when we're going to talk about Southeast Asian, uh, you know, land race cannabis. I think the first thing that comes to anybody's mind is Thai. So, yeah, I think it's a great, uh, great time to actually go ahead and like grab some, you know, like Thailand seeds, then <laughs> even seeds from other different areas, uh, you know, surrounding it, like Laos, Cambodia, Burma, even in India, like Manipur, and try to just experiment with them, see if they can get to integrate, you know, those uh, qualities into their own population, own gene pool. I think it could be hugely beneficial because I keep seeing people, you know, growing out outdoors and they just have to cut prematurely because it starts raining. So, yeah, I think I've seen that a lot and this could really help. Oh, yeah. And I think um, 
you know, Thailand has such a long tradition of being a place that has cannabis. And, you know, certainly during the Vietnam War and after that really got to be known for having, you know, Thai stick and all the other stuff. So yeah. um, uh, certainly has that the biggest, I guess, everything I've smelled so far out here and that was actual land race stuff. It didn't have any Western stuff in it was either lemonine dominant or had those mango terps. So we've still been doing some more yeah. hunting, but uh, I know Canatai Seeds has had a lot of good luck finding some some stuff that isn't quite so, so uh, fitting into those yeah. two categories. Yeah, so uh, this lemon uh, profile you're speaking, I think that 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 one's pretty common too. And and it's more like a lemongrass. It, it's not really like a, 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 like a lemony flavor as in you would find in the Afghani varieties or in the hybrid, uh, not that kind of limates. Sort of like lemongrass uh, sort of smell, and you you could find that in like some of the Burmese uh, varieties. But as we like go to like Laos and Cambodia, you get like more like berry and, and sweeter uh, profiles uh, along with like woody and incense or some at times sandalwood like smells. And yeah, I mean I mean you know as you move to like more uh, highlands is where I believe, you know, more of these, uh, you know, lemongrass, lemony and, you know, piney scents would emerge uh, as, as we've also, you know, experienced the same thing in India as, you know, because all the terai and the flatlands have sweeter berry tubs. And as you move towards uh, the mountains, you know, they tend to get a little astringent with a side of piney and sort of like, again, it's not like a full blown lemon, but, it has a lemony and citrusy tang to it. So, yeah, we can uh, really see, you know, that the smells tend to like develop in that tangent as you go towards like a certain locale or terroir. So that's for sure, yes. So you had mentioned uh, Burma and Ca um, Cambodian and I forget yes. one of the other Southeast Asian countries. What type of oh, uh, uh, Malaysia, I think it was the other, or Indonesia, I think you said. Um, what are the different terpene profiles that you found in those types of cultivars? Um, are they pretty similar to Thailand or are they very different? I know the, that little bit of stuff I've got that was Cambodian, the structure was completely different. The terp profile was completely different. Um, they clearly didn't have as much experience growing. Uh, you could tell that by the plants uh, as the guys in Thailand, but um, it's just, it certainly still had some uniqueness to it. And what are some of the things that you found? Yeah, first of all, you I think you mentioned it correctly that, you know, people in uh, Cambodia and Laos, they're not as proficient in growing cannabis as, you know, you look at people in Thailand. And I'm not speaking about like the legalization thing that just happened. I mean, even if you go into the traditional arena, you know, uh, Thai, Thai farmers is just like way, way ahead of these guys. Anyways, but uh, yeah, the weed that comes from mostly from Cambodia and uh, Laos, you know, they mostly tend to have these like floral, berry, woody kind of, uh, you know, flavors. And, and they're not very prominent. Uh, again, you know, the, that's, that's the one thing that uh, I, I would say, you know, it's like a little drawback for Southeast Asian varieties that the flavors, the intensity is not there. I mean, you really have to take the uh, plant and, you know, stick it in your nose and, you know, try to smell it. And if you really want to get the flavors out of that smoke, uh, it, it has to be cured properly you know over six, six at least six months so th those are like some of, some of the problems with those varieties but still if, if you get to have like a fresh sample and you know you, you can just like test the resin and, and smell it so like those those are really the smells that we uh, usually get from places like Cambodia and Laos and, and even like Burmese Burmese is like a lot more floral uh, 
actually compared to uh, Cambodia and Laos. And uh, the, the the varieties that come from Burma, uh, they actually come from like a, sort of like mid-highland, sort of altitude around like 1200 to 1300 meters. Uh, while the varieties that coming out of Laos and Cambodia, they're more of a flat land, not so uh, the altitude less than a thousand uh, thousand meters. So I'm I'm not exactly sure, you know, how that's really uh, making a difference as there are so many factors influencing a plant's growth. But yeah, uh, these countries tend to have a lot less, uh, you know, hilly regions which uh, people cultivate cannabis in. I mean, simply just just area wise. I think Thailand uh, has like a lot, lot of highland territories where they're growing cannabis. And I think most of their variety, most of their cannabis, you know, the, the crops, they come down from like actually mountains and, uh, you know, places which are around like a thousand meters in altitude. So, so, so they tend to have like a little different, uh, you know, terpenes. And it, it also helps the farmers in a way because it tend to be a little colder compared to, you know, if you're in the city, Thailand somewhere. So, so that really just helps in, in the overall growth. So they don't really have to go through like a really extreme, like a really hot period uh, because they're in the mountains. That's awesome. Um, is there anything that you do? do oh, we had a, another question from chat here. Is there anything that you do a little differently in terms of selecting males? Or, or doing selections for breeding when you're working with these longer term uh, land races and, and local cultivars um, compared to, um, you know, the traditional ones. I know we, it's one of my favorite questions to ask people is how do they pick a male? Because every single person is giving me a different question out of the like 200 that we've asked so far on the show. So uh, I'd love to hear your explanation because you, you see a lot more variety, I think, than most people uh, on, on when it comes to that. So I, I haven't really started working with uh, hybrid varieties yet. Uh, you know, I, I do, uh, you know, I do want to, but I think I just don't really understand, you know, the varieties so much better. So I try, I feel a little intimidating using them. What I do feel comfortable is like land races. You know, I, I understand a lot more about them and I feel a lot more comfortable using land races because I know where they're from and, you know, how they behave in a certain uh, climate, in a, in a, a certain temperature and all that. So it, it's really easy, you know, when you when you have seen the plants uh, out there and, you know, you, you bring them in, you sort of have this field guide already about those plants. So so what we, uh, you know, as far as the male, uh, selecting a male is concerned, you know, I, I have a very, uh, uh, you know, simple strategy when I'm uh, selecting for male. And that is only because, you know, I'm in the initial parts of my, you know, breeding and selection work. And that is I'm mostly in breeding stuff. And I'm, uh, when I'm, you know, uh, looking in land race, mostly what I'm doing is I'm doing the selection from the female side, and then I'm trying to find a male that is, uh, you know, as close to the female selection as it could be. Now, another thing that, you know, which I think is very important and that should be done, you know, especially with, and especially with the Southeast Asian varieties, the ones that flower longer, when you've selected a male, please, you know, before you use it for pollination, um, you know, do a round of like complete revege on that plant and see if there are any intersex traits that come out. Because if there's uh, even a speck of, uh, you know, chance that there is going to be some intersex traits in that male or it's about to, you know, pass on certain, uh, you know, or, uh, deleterious genes like that, you will be able to figure that out once you do a complete revege. And if it just revedges and it doesn't, um, you know, produce uh, female flowers 
try to produce, also produce female flowers on top of male flowers, then, then you understand, okay, this is a good male and you could probably use that. And then, you know, the other criterion has to come into picture, you know, that you're looking for. And uh, like you already mentioned, you know, everybody has different uh, goals when they're uh, coming into breed with a certain plant. So it really depends and boils down to what people are looking for. But for me, I'm doing most of my selection from the female side, and then I'm just trying to uh, get a male that is really closely matched to the female. So, you know, I, I, I can uh, uh, stay around, you know, my female selection, you know, and, and I, I can like, you know, work in a, a narrow range of varieties as when we're, as we're, we're trying to, you know, get to a certain type of plant or if you're trying to uh, select certain characteristics into one plant. So I think it's really helpful for me that piece. That's awesome. Uh, I wanted to do a, a quick uh, intro to some of the other um, uh, panelists that have joined us here. We have uh, uh, Canatai Seeds. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hello, sir. How are you doing? Good man, hey, yeah, I've been following you for a long time, man. I love it. Yeah, me too. I, I I keep looking at your page, and you know, I was trying to figure out if this like someone who's from Thailand, or uh, you know, it's uh, perhaps someone from a different country, you know, who's uh, living in Thailand. But uh, anyways, you know, it's 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 amazing. You know, I, I love your uh, you know page and things you're doing with you know genetics out there. Uh, providing people easy access to good genetics, man. That, that's, I think that's really amazing you know, because most of these people in Thailand, they have to buy from outside and, you know, it's just a mess. <laughs> so, I'd yeah, love to I'm come good. over. I'd love to come visit you someday. This is everything. Okay. So, so sure, amazing. Man. This is the scene, man. I just, I love it. Really. Absolutely. You know, you, you're most welcome and you can come here. You know, I'd be very happy to take you around and show you some fields and uh, show you some places of cannabis and you know that, that that would be amazing i would love to do that That would be amazing that would be like christmas for me <laughs> yeah it'd be christmas for me as well anytime i can go to these places it's pretty much christmas you gotta yeah. you gotta come visit thailand man we'll give you quite the tour <laughs> yeah please if you ever come to the kingdom please hit us up okay you know i i, I might have to come down now that i know you guys Oh, I, yeah, I love it. We also have uh, Wes Engine joining us. How's it going, Wes? Wes. Big up Potent Phonics. Big up Canatai Seeds. Big up Infamous Hi. Prophets. Areza. I hope everyone's living well. Big up the whole chat. Hope everybody's living their best life, man. Hope everyone's flowering something fucking funky right now. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it with the thing. I won't hold up anything here. How about you, Infamous? How you doing? We're doing good, man. As always, I'm running around trying to do the best I can for these plants. Um, I was ordering lights today. I've been dealing with getting these 50 new LEDs from China for one of our new rooms. So finally got that dealt with. We had a huge storm last night. So again, my outdoor got rattled again. Um yeah, but besides that, really excited to hear more about this uh, Afghani Middle Eastern land race. I mean, this guy's a legend, as we all know, blowing mm -hmm. it up on Instagram, showing us really what these uh, cannabis plants come from that we all love. I, I think we all kind of enjoy that Afghani, you know, land race Indica style from like that region of the world. So I'm excited to see what he's got to say and uh, 
learn a lot I can from them. You know what I mean? Let's go. Let's do it. If you guys have any questions, feel free to pop in at any time. We'd love to have you guys ask questions as well. Um, we did have another question from chat while we've been talking. Um, do, do you have any um, standardized IPM or, or what are the different pest management methods that are used, people are utilizing in these, uh, these types of situations where you know, obviously a lot, most of the places where you're posting videos are, are very far from a local shop where they can buy you know, a hydro store. So uh, what are they utilizing to, to help maintain the, the health of the plants here, especially when it comes to pests? So, um, you know, I think we, we need uh, to understand when we're looking at places like Afghanistan and, you know, or any place for that matter in India or Pakistan or even in Southeast Asia, traditional cultivation. Most of these, uh, most of these people are growing varieties which have been growing there for ages, if, if, if not hundreds of years. So what, what happens is that, you know, a, a particular locale or a particular terroir, you know, it, it shapes it, it shapes the you know population of a certain variety in a way that it can survive. And if it can't survive, then it of course it'll it'll go extinct from that place or it will not be able to survive. So the plants we're seeing in the open out there, they're byproduct of nature selection more than uh, human doing out there. I mean, humans have certainly played a great role in you know bringing it from the jungle and you know cultivating it systemically and, you know, fertilizing it and, you know, making it into something that is meaningful to us as a plant. And, but at the same time, you know, these, these plants, they, they absolutely do not use any kind of IPM or uh, they, they just do not bother about it. It's more like a, a regenerative style of uh, farming as I've seen uh, some, uh, some of the groups doing in California. What they usually do is they, they're not doing any IPM and they actually let the pest, the nature take its cycle because a few weaker plants will be attacked and, you know, they, they will be get eaten by pests at the end. And that's just like the cycle of the nature, you know, the pests have to survive as well. At the same time, you know, uh, the species would survive as well. So there is like a balance. But of course, when it comes to, uh, you know, commercial growers who are doing, you know, commercial growers, they, they absolutely cannot afford to have a situation like this when some where some of the plants are getting eaten by pests and you know they 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 get to have like some of their crop because everything is uh, pretty much you know numbered and you know uh, calculated and accounted for so in those circumstances of course people have to go with varieties i think more than ipm what people should go for is like varieties that can actually withstand your uh, the, the condition that you're able to provide to the plant be it indoors, outdoors, wherever that is. I mean, you have to be aware of your surroundings, first of all. You have to do sort of like a biological survey, if you would, and understand what kind of pests are, uh, you know, present in my area and then uh, really find varieties uh, that are actually resistant to those pests. And if you can't, then there are absolutely ways and there are so many products in the market that people can use. But I think the, uh, what, everyone should do is always start off right and starting off right is you know using the varieties which are actually resistant and uh, to the pests in your area and you know can survive uh, alongside uh, those pests more than that and from that point if you also add ipm to uh, to the whole regime i think it just like tops and it, it, that's when people really get the best results 
instead of getting plants into your area which are not really suited for your region or will be attacked by like a lot of pests in your area and then also using ipm i think a, 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 a better situation or a better option is always uh, starting off with plants which are resistant to those pests to begin with well that's great i uh, i certainly thought there would be something there but uh... It sounds like it's all based on selection, which is really cool. It's certainly one of the bigger, uh, bigger issues that I, you know, one of the first things that I do when I'm doing consulting, if, if you have something that just hates your environment, trash it. There's too many other kinds of cannabis out there to, to sit there and get frustrated with one, you know? Yes. And, and, and I think at the same time, I also want to make sure, you know, that you have to understand a good proportion of those crops that we're seeing are getting eaten by all kinds of pests. Like, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to go ahead and maybe make a poster, and try to show a few buds, uh, which are being eaten by thrips, um, because which, which is like really common uh, uh, in Afghanistan and in places like Balochistan. And the way you get to see how thrips have attacked, you know, so many of these plants is uh, once it's almost the harvest time and, you know, the population have died out, you can see their eggs, you know, uh, those those white white things all, all over the buds so you know it's not like those plants are not getting eaten by pests they are it's just they are growing in such massive numbers and they don't really have like a you know boss who they have to you know give numbers to and you know so so they don't really worry about that you know they have like a hundred thousand plants if twenty thousand plants get eaten by pests they can just go ahead and like harvest the remaining eighty thousand and they'd still be doing pretty good uh, but, you know, we understand in commercial situation, you know, someone who's growing, you know, under a certain company or under a certain profit margin, you know, they, they, they can't afford to lose like 20% of their crop or, you know, anything close to that. So it, it, it's, it, it's really different, you know. Uh, That's really interesting. What about in terms of harvesting? You know, what is the harvest process? Well, I know a, a lot of people listening to the show aren't familiar with these, um, you know, Afghan um, harvesting methods and things like that. But why don't you educate everybody on, on the drying, you know, harvesting and drying and curing that they do, because they do a much longer process than I think most people do in the States. Yeah, again, I mean, the, their drying and curing process is uh, also, I think, becomes a lot different, is not a lot different, but it becomes actually because um, if we're only simply going to speak about, you know, the, the places we're touring right now, like in Afghanistan, I think, yes, it does become a lot different because it's dry out there. It's so extremely dry. I mean, the humidity is running around like 15, 18% humidity. You're talking about 20% humidity. So in those situations, uh, it, it doesn't matter, you know, where you're keeping your plants. They, they dry out like really, really fast in comparison to uh, how people like to do it. Uh, in in the West, you know, they they like to take their crops through a very slow cure, instead of like getting them dry abruptly, uh, which, which they believe is like affects the flavors and you know a lot, a lot of other things as well. So, in places like Afghanistan, you know, where they're traditionally growing these crops, they don't seem to have that concerns. Uh, in in fact, they don't concern themselves with those things that how how long is it taking for my crop to actually dry out? Because what they're trying to do most of most of the times out there they're trying to dry those crops to a point where they really become just you know brown crust and and you can just like take it in your hand and you know make it powder 
with ease because that's when it also becomes easy for them to uh, you know separate the resin glands from the plant matter uh, because the, they're already washing uh, in order to extract the resin what they're doing is they're sieving the material in order to uh, you know separate the resin mm -hmm. so uh, for them you know it's 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 actually a win-win situation you know that is extremely dry it dries out fast and it dries out in a, a manner that they they actually uh, want it to, which is like really crusty, opposed to how people would want it uh, in the West where uh, even if they want to make hash, I mean, I, I don't think they, they go for over drying the buds. So that's, that's mainly uh, one of the bigger differences, you know, how things are being done in the traditional arena, say in Central Asia and how it's being done uh, in the new world of cannabis. Mm, but, Again, not a lot of similarities, uh, but because the end product and how, uh, you know, the end product is actually processed differs so much. So the process of drying is also very different. And, you know, harvesting is also pretty rough. You know, it, it's done by hand. They don't really have access to machines. So, uh, you know, they just go out there and, you know, harvest one field at a time. So if my field is, say, is getting harvested and you're my neighbor, I could say, okay, you know, why don't you come over and help me? And, you know, all the other neighbors are going to harvest my field today. And then tomorrow we could all come to your field and, you know, uh, harvest yours. So it's all like manpower driven. Well, that's awesome. We certainly have that same kind of community uh, I've seen in a lot of places that grow. I know in Jamaica, um, when I went to the one town in, in, in Westmoreland, the whole village was one giant grow operation and everyone got paid X amount of pounds um, per harvest. And then everything over that was split. Um, you know, whatever they sold it for was split between everybody. So um, it's always cool to see that sense of community. And you don't really see that in the US market, uh, certainly not in the cannabis market. Uh, it's knives out and, uh, and uh, no one works together hardly at all. But uh, uh, certainly uh, don't have that problem here in Asia. You know, there's a lot of great people here working together. Uh, in fact, a bunch of them are on the show, Infamous and me and Canatai have all been working together out here so far and I know Infamous yeah. and Canatai have been working together for many years so it's really cool to see those little communities pop up and I think it's one of the best parts of cannabis is those communities it creates and that that building you know bridges with people that you wouldn't normally build with in your community. Yeah absolutely I mean it's a very infectious vibe you know this community thing even uh, people you know come from like certain uh, other different parts of the world where um you know you you have like a different culture you don't really have a very community driven culture you know they tend to come in and they can immediately peel it and you know the, i i've i've seen a lot of people you know come from outside and become part of these communities and actually go on to do amazing things for those countries so yeah i mean it's amazing uh, what people like Kanathai seeds are also doing out there so once again you know shout out to him for you know doing the great thing coming out there in Thailand, living there and doing the thing. The, um, uh, so what about, um, uh, we had another person ask in chat, what are, if any, some examples of people fermenting the plant food uh, before feeding? Uh, are you, do they do uh, any kind of natural fertilizers at all? Or are they strictly uh, going based off of what's in the ground? Or, um, you know, is there any methodologies or anything that, that is, you know, maybe a little bit more universal or used in quite a few different places that you can uh, talk to us about. Yeah, so so there are certain things which are like very very common in a lot of 
these places, which is like plowing of the field. So what you would generally see is the, the season starts off with uh, plowing the earth and really just, you know, flip flipping it and, you know, uh, getting the underside of the earth also see the sun. And that sort of like helps in, you know, uh, uh, you know, getting the soil prepared and, you know, getting some, some of the unwanted things out of the uh, soil because there are a lot of roots of grasses uh, that otherwise, you know, wouldn't go away. Even if you just like cut them, they would just like pop back again. So that happens in a lot of places, be it uh, in the subtropical highlands of India. That's like uh, Uttarakhand, Himachal, Malana, these places. Or even if you go to the polar opposite uh, places like the cold desert of Afghanistan. So that, that, is, that is something, you know, which is happening all at all of these places. Now, after that, you know, sowing, the, sowing of seeds is also uh, pretty similar is what I've seen. They, they just bring like a whole bunch of seeds and they start throwing them randomly in the field instead of just putting one seed at a place or uh, really having a nursery kind of setup before, uh, you know, taking out their plants into the open field. So that, is not there they just bring those seeds and they just throw them in the ground and whichever is the uh, you know whichever are hardy enough to grow they grow and these are really the things you know that uh, that that shapes the popul overall population over time and you know the weaker plants the, the plants uh, who need more care uh, you know are prone to diseases pests they, they, they tend to you know like recede in the population and you get a population of plants that can actually, you know, survive really well in these places. So, you know, the way these people work actually grows seeds and, you know, it's just part of the whole larger process, you know, that also helps in maintaining the overall population with the help of nature, of course, because nature is the one that's selecting uh, those populations in the, in the traditional places. And as far as the fertilization is concerned, um, what I've seen is the cow dung manure is the choice of manure for most of the places again. Some places I've seen uh, they don't even bother to uh, you know fertilize, but that's uh, but they have a different situation because they're mulching you know most of the plants uh, back into the ground uh, when this before the snowfall comes in. So uh, you know they do have uh, you know fortifying their soil, but in a very different way. Uh, but if you go to Afghanistan, uh, you go to Balochistan, you go to uh, more uh, commercial hubs in India like Malana, what you're going to find is that people are using cow dung manure. They're very specifically going out there, uh, plowing the field and then putting uh, cow dung manure, uh, you know, and, and then, then again plowing the field a little bit to get it uh, properly mixed in with the soil. So that's one of the choice of manure that I've seen. I've also seen horse uh, manure in certain places, but that's mostly because of not having access to cow dung manure. I, I believe it's not really uh, like a choice fertilizer for those farmers as well. So uh, yeah, but they, they're not really fermenting and they're not uh, doing those things that you might be seeing in, in Thailand, uh, you know, a lot of uh, probiotic farming. So uh, that's uh, really not one of the things which is being done because again, these are traditional places and uh, not exactly legal. So they just do things in a way, you know, which is easiest, fastest, and, you know, uh, is, is like safest. So, you know, their fertilization is just very, very simple, but tends to be effective.
So you currently have this, uh, let me find the name of it here, uh, the mm -hmm. Afghan project uh, going on mm -hmm. this year, or currently. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about that? And, uh, and um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, thank you very much for bringing it up. Uh, so uh, every year what we do is uh, we go ahead and we do a few different projects. Uh, like this year, we're actually doing four projects, but our main project is the Afghan project. And then we have uh, a, a few other projects as well, like from Hopar Valley, Gilgit, Baltistan, uh, which is close to Chitral Valley. And then we have, uh, you know, touring being done in Tira Valley as well, which is in uh, northern Pakistan. And then we have something coming from Balochistan as well that we do every year from our friends. But, uh, you know, the main... Uh, the main dish is, of course, uh, the Afghan project here. And what we're doing this year is uh, we're trying to uh, go to the places. One that we went to back in 2020 and were able to find some amazing plants which people were able to grow and they also got some uh, really interesting stuff out of. So we're trying to go out there and, uh, you know, uh, collect uh, some more seeds from those areas like Maruf Kandahar would be, uh, you know, one good example. And then on top of that, we're trying to uh, go to some different places that we've not been before and uh, trying to see if we can find something interesting, find something, you know, uh, that we haven't encountered yet. However, uh, in, in Afghanistan, what you see, the crop is like more or less the same. It, it, it doesn't really have a lot of difference like you would find in a country like India. I mean, it, it's, it's more like Thailand, like you have different regions and you certainly have different varieties in Thailand. But at the end of the day, they're not so different from each other. You know, they're not like hugely different from each other. So, uh, and, and that's because, you know, by and large, there is only one kind of climate. I mean, it's not like India. In India, you have Kashmir where um, you have this dry climate and, you know, the snow comes very fast, sort of like high latitude places. And then you have subtropical, uh, you know, highlands like Uttarakhand and Himachal Pradesh. We also have temperate region in between like Punjab, Haryana, Uttar Pradesh. And then if you go to South, you have a full on uh, tropics because you know, it, it, it goes right in the middle of the India. So we, we don't see that in place like a, places like Thailand or places like, um, you know, Afghanistan, because overall there's just one climate, you know. I mean, not exactly, but by and large, the climate is the same, you know, wherever you go. So, uh, you know that, that that that's also one of the things that's uh, yeah yeah that that's there. Um, do you want to talk yeah. to us a little bit about the hash making? Because you have a lot of um, amazing documentation on traditional hash making as well on your channel. Are you? Uh, Yes, um, you know, this year we're, uh, what we're trying to do is we're also trying to focus a little more on hash making and uh, hash making process actually to cover it and to be able to show it in videos, in longer format videos so that people, you can really get really close to the process. Um, so as, as you can see already from these pictures that you're scrolling that different areas have so different, you know, ways of extracting the hash. And, you know, what I've actually done is I've actually spoken to people, uh, like, like I speak to my friend in Balochistan and I ask him, you know, I show him pictures of hand rub uh, charas and I ask him, you know, what do you think about this? Would you do it, you know, in your area? And they're like, no, we'd never do something like this. We'd never like, you know, 
uh, rubber plants with our hands and try to extract the resin. We'd rather dry it and see with the way we're doing. And if we, uh, you know, sometimes show videos or, you know, pictures of, say, Afghanistan or Balochistan to people in Malana and they, they just can't, you know, really understand, you know, what's going on. And they would be like, oh, I'd, we'd just rather do this. You know, this is what we've been doing. So not only that, these uh, places have, you know, such different ways of extracting the resin. They most of the time also tend not to agree, you know, with, you know, how it is processed in a certain way. So starting off with like Afghanistan, you go there and it's just all dry saving. I mean, that's just one method that is being employed throughout the country. Uh, you will not see another, uh, another method being used in that country. So it's just that. And if we come to India, you know, we can see, again, we can see a few different ways it's being extracted. And again, that could be attributed to uh, the, the, geog the geography or country because it's placed in such a way that we have different climates which are so starkly different and not similar. So, for example, we go to Kashmir and you can once again see a lot of dry sieving happening there. People do hand up over there as well, but they're also doing a lot of dry sieving because the climate out there is more like a high latitude climate and it gets dry. It doesn't really stay that wet during the um, winters. But if we come down to Malana, you know, in the wetter places, uh, they, they tend not to do uh, extraction in that way. They, they just, you know, rub the plants and then, you know, make those uh, twisties or fingers or balls and then just, you know, cure them uh, slowly. And then as we go down to the south, we, we see, uh, you know, it's not ha hash making isn't happening at all. You know, they, they're just like working with buds. Uh, you have more like a Thai, Thailand, like a uh, like culture in southern India or even in eastern India, for that matter. So yeah, I mean, a lot of places, you know, uh, they're, they're all doing their hashes differently. And you know, you uh, just like pulled up this one beautiful picture here that I can look at of uh, Kashmir Chali. I mean, this is a special one. This is uh, what they make once they've dry sieved the resin, and then they cook it, and they cook it inside a corn cob. I'm, I'm sorry, like the corn husk. So uh, and it's like tied with the, with the thread. So it kind of like melts inside, but it doesn't come out. And then they take it out and cool it down because it's done in the winter months. So it cools down really fast and it gets really hard. So then you could uh, use it like hash. It, it becomes really convenient to use uh, opposed to the, uh, you know, just the dry sieve resin they have, uh, you know, procured. And this way they can also mix like a lot of plant matter as well, which will not be easily discernible. So, you know, it all gets mixed in and they can just like yeah, sell a little more than they would have. That's interesting. So how do they cook that? They, they just wrap it tightly in that and then put it um, on a dry skillet or is it, how do they do that? So it, it, yeah, it's actually, a, it's actually a process. So what they start off with is the first thing is, you know, the, the plant matter has to be absolutely dry before they want to sieve it. So once they do that, they, uh, you know, sieve the resin. And once they've collected the resin, they sit, let the resin sit for a few days, first of all. But, uh, you know, uh, the, there were some like younger folks that we saw in, in town. I mean, they weren't really doing that. They were just like extracting the resin and then straight away cooking it. But as we went to places like Pulwama, where uh, we had more traditional farmers who've been doing it for a longer time and, you know, bigger scales, what they were doing was they were extracting, uh, I mean, they were sieving the resin and then they were keeping it 
they were storing it for at least like one to two months. And once, uh, you know, uh, they were like, okay, it's uh, aged a little bit and, you know, it has developed certain flavor, then they would take it out. And at that point, it wouldn't even also remain so powdery. So it's also easier for them to just like put it inside these empty corn husks, which are dried out already in advance. And they would just uh, roll them and tie them with, uh, with, with threads. And then they make a fire and then they put these, uh, you know, uh, these bucks that they've made into fire and, you know, let the fire burn. And this is where it's like really interesting because somehow these people have very good idea, like how long it has to stay inside the fire, because if it stays too long, it can get ruined. And if it doesn't stay that long, you know, you wouldn't have everything, you know, uh, melted down. So it wouldn't really mix properly. So uh the people who do it they, they they have they just have this like intuition kind of thing okay now it's done so they would just take it out after a certain time which is like not a very long time after i think i would say like less than a minute but more than like 45 seconds so around like 50 seconds and then they would immediately beat it with um you know something like a stick or a rock to just flatten it out so that it gets mixed properly and they would put it back into the fire like one or two more times depending on you know how it feels to them and once you know second or third time around when they're like sure okay you know this this, this thing is like properly done uh, that's when they you know uh, unwrap it and then they check you know how it's done they'll break it immediately to see the texture whether or not it was uh, properly mixed and amalgamated and um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing, you know, when it's done right, uh, the flavors are enhanced. The high, I, I mean, enhancing the high is like not the right word. I mean, it just like goes two to three X. It just increases so much, uh, but the flavors come out beautifully as well. Uh, but that's when it when it's done right, because some, uh, you know, younger folks doing it tend to keep it for longer. And they, they, they sometimes, you know, just burn off the flavors and uh, sometimes uh, they just pull it out early. So it has to be done right by experienced people. Uh, so when we tasted it from people in Pulwama, that was beautiful. That was, uh, you know, that that's that picture from Pulwama from 2018. So that was, you know, one of the best, uh, best hashes that I've ever smoked. So, yeah. Sorry about that. I hit the wrong button there. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. I've never heard of that tech um, with the. Me either. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And certainly, I have a bunch of C CBD uh, dry stuff laying around. We're going to definitely try that um, and, and try to film that tech because that's really, really cool. It's almost like a, a different version of like the Frenchie tech. Like if you didn't have. Uh, a glass bottle and you didn't have a uh you know a, a you know oven bags um that's, that's kind of it sounds very similar to like what what they do with the temple ball hash that's really cool yeah more rudimentary more wild of in, in nature yeah no that's a really really amazing and is there any other where... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. We're going Malawi cob with it for a second, but yeah. then, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Pretty, that's pretty. <coughs> cool. 
I, I might try that sometime. I've spent hours looking at, uh, at them photos. I can never get sick of going through that his page. It's amazing. Especially that one they just, that burgundy one they just, just cut that just recently. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, those are, so we have like three of those from that same field. <clears throat> one of them is just absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, I, I think that was posted a few days ago and then one that we just uh, cut down like a couple of days ago and then there's another one that's also a good one. So we're getting like three out of that same place. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I'm extra excited now about that Ken Harmaru Fred now after hearing all this and seeing these photos. For sure, uh, bro. Yeah. Because you know, I you know, I've only, you know, I've grown my share of cultivars in my time in California, you know, I, uh and I've only had one of those plants like that that was literally like an inverted color so to speak where all the genotypes mainly like 99 percent of the ones that i saw were green leaf with real black buds or flowers and then that one particular genotype i got was like that it was like a burgundy red cranberry red stalk and leaves and then the flowers were green it's like an you know inverse trait every once in a while you get that you know yeah beautiful yeah, it's crazy. And I've been searching for it ever since over here, and I haven't had any luck on getting that leaf color coming out of the uh, the F2s that I have. And that's all I have now. I don't have the F1 anymore. These are just amazing. Uh, is there any other um, hash methods that you, you can share with us? I mean, you seem to be very knowledgeable on these traditional yeah. hash making methods. <laughs> Certainly one of our favorite I've, topics. I've, I've, yeah, pleasure. I've just been like seeing these amazing people, you know. Um, so, I mean, when you get to see all this, I mean, anybody mm -hmm. would, you know, uh, develop a certain amount of knowledge just like from seeing all of this stuff. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, one of the most unique methods is the one, this uh, Kashmiri ones that we've seen, because no no other place, at least uh, in you know, the recorded history of cannabis, seems to be doing this. They're the only people who do this very specific thing. And it's, and Kashmir, again, is like such a small place when you look at it. So it's very interesting how this technique has, you know, somehow stayed within uh, this very small place. And we, we just never see this technique being employed by, uh, you know, any other place. And it's not like it's, it's, it's a bad thing to do. I mean, you know, like I said, when it's done right, it, it's so amazing. I mean, it, it, the flavor goes up like a couple of folds and you know, the high goes up by many folds. So it's, it's certainly something, you know, uh, which should be, which can be done by even, you know, commercial producers. But somehow we've just not seen this technique anywhere else not even in india not even in the same country so that's quite interesting and dry sieving is really the method of choice you know when it comes to high latitude regions of afghanistan and even in pakistan because it's really dry out there and even the resin on those plants the the, the varieties uh, you find in you know places like afghanistan they tend to have a very dry textured resin which is uh <laughs> which is just perfect for sieving or even if you want to wash it, but uh, they, they don't do that. That's like a very modern thing to do. So they, 
dry seaweed. It's just the kind of resin that grows on the plant is just perfect to do it. If you come to India, you know, uh, and not Kashmir, but uh, to the more wetter places, you will see plant tend to have uh, these gooey uh, trichomes. The resin glands have a very um, sticky, gooey texture, which, which is which is right for them because it's it's going to get really rainy and going to get really wet. So it's uh, it's great, you know. It's the texture is sticky. The water will not you know stand on it. It'll just like slip right away. So those plants have adapted just the right for themselves and again those plants are not working for us they're really you know trying to survive and trying to survive their lineage so uh you know when we come to india and that's the kind of resin glands you have it's really not you know feasible that you do dry sieving on them so i think you know rubbing down those plants in india it just just makes sense for them so i think somehow these people these uh, communities wherever they are in india pakistan Afghanistan, uzbekistan they've all found and you know figured out ways through trial and error i think of through through generations that you know what works for them and they've just like stuck with those things instead of uh, you know experimenting and uh, i think that's mostly because you know they don't have that many resources so i think that's that uh, that's the best thing that they could have done uh, so yeah that's that's why you know we see all these different methods at different places I'm, I'm certainly a huge fan of Charas, having had a, the pleasure of getting mm-hmm. my hands on some a couple of times. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it tastes better than most of the others. That aside from rosin, rosin's pretty good too. But yeah. So what are um what are your favorite um uh, you know profiles or or stuff that you've grown or gotten your hands on through the the work that you've done? You know, what's kind of your your top five or top three that you've really just been really loving over the years mm, I've, I've tried uh, you know many plants over the years because i've had the you know privilege to have access to all of these seeds first so you know i can always dip into these seeds and you know pick out a few and you know grow and see you know how they look like uh again because you know i don't have like a huge space so i have to be really picky and i i have to make sense out of every grow so what I have uh, looked into mostly is uh, the shorter flowering varieties, which are from, you know, Kashmir and Afghanistan and Pakistan. And uh, I've also looked into longer flowering varieties. As a matter of fact, the only one variety of uh, cannabis that I've bred so far uh, had the biggest contribution in that variety is of the Burmese plant, uh, because that's what we use for color. Um, so I have, uh, you know, also worked with uh, longer flowering varieties or medium longer flowering varieties, but not so much as we have worked, I've worked with um, shorter flowering varieties from Afghanistan, Pakistan, and some from Kashmir. So my, you know, top five would be certainly one would be Neelam Valley. That's amazing because I found like one of the best females from that population. And, you know, I was able to really use that to create the variety that I did. And, you know, second best would be definitely Balochistan because you have amazing plants, amazing yields, beautiful colors, flavors. So, uh, you know, it's definitely on the list. And then, then apart from that, you know, what I've uh, really liked is uh, the plants from Pakistan, but not from very high latitude, actually from 
mid latitudes around like 32 33 degree north which is like tira valley and khyber pakhtunkhwa and like swabi so those are some of the varieties i've worked with actually swabi is one of the varieties that actually got released in collaboration with mass medical strains in the us and in europe as well and this variety is also being grown uh, by Kiona. He's a, he's a producer in Washington. And, you know, uh, if somebody yeah. wants to get a taste of that pure land race variety, they, they actually can by uh, visiting Kiona in Washington and it's being sold there. So those, those are like some of the varieties that, you know, over the years that I've liked, like Kashmir and, you know, Balochistan, Swabi and definitely Burmese in the longer flowering varieties is what I've liked. I've, I grew Laos, Cambodia. I, I grew some Vietnamese stuff as well that I got from one of my friends in Thailand. And, and I grew Burmese and this was happening at, at the same time. Uh, I was growing around like 2019. So what I really liked was like Burmese for me really, really stuck out. I mean, Again, it could be different for different people, you know, because, uh, you know, growing seeds is more like Russian roulette. You don't know what you're going to get. And every seed is different. So a whole lot of possibilities out there, right? Uh, but this is what uh, worked for me. These plants have worked for me, uh, you know, Balochistan, Hindu Kush, um, Tira Valley, Neelam Valley, Kashmir, and, you know, Burmese. Uh, and my, the, the Burmese stock I got was from Mongsat. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a small place and I might be pronouncing it wrong. I'm sorry if I am, but um, that's, uh, that's where that stock came from in case someone is interested. I had a question. Mass Medical, is that the guy there in Michigan? Mm, Michigan, I, I think so, yes. Yeah, they're, they're those guys, I've actually just swapped Thai heirlooms and a few other things with those guys. Uh, I have a buddy in California that's that runs their gear in California and gets it from Mass Medical in, in Michigan. I guess they got a big, a giant facility where they phenol hunt. Like they have like a huge area where they have a lot of stuff they're going through, trying to pull special stuff out of. But he has a star pupil that I'm really interested in that strain. And he has an old timer haze, but also the star people, I believe, is like amazing. Mm, yeah, I haven't really grown that. So, I mean, I, I don't usually get to grow like a lot of hybrids. So, uh, I'm not very familiar and it kind of gets intimidating because, you know, you have to remember all these names and then uh, you have to follow the lineage. And, right. you know, it, it gets really uh, confusing at times. So, um, you know, I have to write down notes. So, you know, you, you got to pick, uh, you know, as a human being, I, I tend to gravitate towards like more simpler things, you know, finding land race. Okay. You know, the lineage is not so complex and there's not so many, you know, folklore around it. So it's okay. We can use it and we know for sure it came from this place and we know, you know, the climate is like and all that. So really, right. we don't really get to work with a lot of hybrid stuff, but I want to, I mean, you know, uh, it's, uh, I'm not like really one of those uh, people, you know, like I'm trying to say like, this is good or this is bad. I mean, Landris is just what I'm comfortable with, but I think in future, sometime when I get comfortable, you know, I would like to, you know, get around hybrids as well. There are some of the, some great plants out there. I know some people have done amazing things in the last 50, 60 years of breeding that has happened. 
and you know certainly worth checking out I, I believe that pure land race is where it's at that's where all the it's where all the it's, it's the stepping stone really I mean it's the, the pure stuff the, the untouched is <laughs> what I love I mean that's what I'm smoking on now I believe this is uh, my Thai buddies bring these these uh, heirlooms to taste and they're amazing the smells the fruits and the it's just amazing. Okay. Yeah. Oh. You know, we, I mean, we're, we're usually smoking, you know, landry stuff here. We're smoking. Uh, usually, Cheras is the, you know, choice of smoke. So lucky. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we do get flowers from Southern India, which are also great. Uh, but they're at times very compacted. So, uh, you know, oh, they yeah. don't look, look as great, you know, but they smoke so much better than they look. Yeah, looks means nothing to me. I mean, I learned that 30 years ago. <laughs> what yeah. advice do you have yeah. for people that are growing land race cultivars for the first time? Or what, you know, what are tips or tricks that you have for people that are just getting into growing um, you know, stuff that isn't hybrids. I think a lot of people maybe got started with bag seed or something else. Now, what if they want to try and grow some of this stuff? What, what advice do you have for people doing that? Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, if someone who's just like starting out thinking about, okay, you know, I want to grow a land seed. Uh, I think a few things we, we, we have to understand and also, you know, consider before, you know, we can delve into growing land races. The first is what kind of space we have. Because <clears throat> this is a spacey affair, you know, like growing land race is not something uh, that could be done in a very compacted space. I mean, it can be, you know, given that you have the variety, but then again, the whole point of growing a land race is to be able to grow it in a way that you can really see it, express all the traits and, you know, do that you want to do. So one of the things that we want to make sure is that if we don't have a lot of space, then, uh, you know, we're going with varieties which are shorter flowering. And because they're short of flowering, they will also would not have a lot of stretch. So basically, you know, the, the difference between the shorter flowering varieties in high latitudes and the longer flowering varieties in, in the tropics that we have is that these uh, longer flowering varieties tend to have a elongated period of uh, pre-flower stretch. They just stretch for about like eight to nine weeks. And then after that, you know, eight to nine or 10 weeks, they, they tend to just flower out like a normal plant. And that's exactly what is missing from those shorter flowering plants, because I mean, they, they've been, you know, growing in places where you have shorter seasons, you have snow that comes in around like October or November. So their flowering times have been, uh, you know, managed or adapted according to, uh, you know, the, the, those timings. So those are the land races people would want to go with initially when they're starting out. Um, the, the, the other thing people want to consider is that, um, you know, not really, uh, you know, going crazy with feeding um, the land races because uh, we have to understand they come from places where uh, farmers are really not capable of feeding the plants on a daily or a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So what those plants really are getting from the earth is... Um, and the minimal uh, nutrition that is available plus the cow dung manure that has been spread out and just to you know amend the soil so 
there is absolutely no need to really feed them in a way that uh, we feed certain hybrid varieties because those varieties have now adapted after so many years of being grow being grown that way. They have adapted, you know, to higher feedings and you know, uh, higher ECs. So that's something definitely we want to avoid with land races because um, they most most plants tend not to do good uh, when they're over fertilized or fertilized even to a point where you fertilize a hybrid. So these are two of the main things. And uh, one thing, if the people are gonna go with the varieties which are longer flowering, like let's say a Thai variety, if you must do that, then you must start that plant under a 12-12 uh, lightning you know, schedule. You, you do not wanna go from an 18-6 to a 12-12 uh, because uh, you know, that can really uh, create a situation where you, you, you're gonna have a plant that could become like a tree as you must have already seen in Thailand. So what you wanna do in order to uh, you know, keep it compact or uh, to keep it uh, around a manageable height or stature would be to you know, start off really from this 12-12 uh, schedule or 10-14 or whatever people like. And you know, it, it just kind of grows for a little while and then it goes into flowering. So uh, people can also see the plant express pretty much all the traits because uh, most of these equatorial varieties uh, tend to flower under that sort of schedule. So <clears throat> that way also, you know, people are able to see, uh, you know, the, how these plants truly express themselves and uh, not having a very dry, you know, in an environment. Yeah, that, so that's a tree right there. Okay, yeah, that, that's like a regular in Thailand. No, that's a, a special one he found at the temple the other day. I'm sure he'll come <laughs> back and tell us about it, but that's one that uh, Love to hear we'll be about growing it. We'll be growing the seeds on here soon. Well, where I think your service is uh, really valuable and people could use it is they could uh, actually find um, seeds that are suited to their environment. So you could find seeds from the same latitude and same kind of climate region that you're in. And you could expect them to probably work fairly well for you and your environment. Mm -hmm. uh, they, yeah, that, that's the way I would try to use it, use it personally. Yeah, I think that's the idea uh, behind publishing, you know, most of this information uh, that people before uh, they, they, they're choosing, they can actually, you know, read, you know, what place this plant comes from and what kind of environment <clears throat> it grows in. So if, if, if you see that your conditions are, you know, almost opposite or not really like that, there are chances that plant, plant might not do good. Like, for example, <clears throat> someone in Canada, British Columbia could be, buying a Thai variety and then trying to grow it outdoors. So, you know, it, 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 it won't even, you know, uh, begin to bear the flowers and it would be bogged down with the snow. So we have to be, uh, you know, consider, have to be considering these things. And, and I see a lot of times, you know, people actually go on to uh, get, get these seeds and, you know, they're just growing this variety that you can already tell is not going to finish in their backyard. So I think, uh, I, I, and, and this falls back uh, really on uh, people who are trying to get these seeds because uh, from our end, we're trying to publish as much information as we can. So, uh, you know, we'd really uh, appreciate if people could just like, you know, read that, go through that and really see, you know, what suits them. And, and that way everybody can have, you know, good results, but then they're going to be breeders, you know, who would want to get seeds, uh, let's say from a very dry region and try to run them in, 
a cold wet region or a, a you know warm wet region and see if they can find a plant that actually survives there because they also like a certain trait from so it's not really like uh, that's not like a set rule that you have to see uh, you know what kind of environment you have only and then get the land risk accordingly but uh, if you're up for experimenting if you're like a breeder you know intermediate uh, you know high level breeder i guess then you know of course you can do whatever you want i mean you know you can take a thousand seeds of gani variety grow them in uh, you know very wet place and see if you can find a plant that actually survives and, and you have a, an amazing plant that flowers short but has qualities like a long flowering variety that can withstand you know wetter climates so yeah it really depends on you know how people are like looking at these seeds for what purpose that's that's really cool um we had another question from chad is uh, have you gotten any nepalese strains i had some in the 90s that made the best hash uh tuning in late sorry if you've already talked about it um no, we haven't talked about that yet. And I'd love for you to talk about the more Himalayan side of things because that's another aspect of Indian. You know, I think the Himalayan stuff is also another good one if you are in a more Northern latitude because anything higher altitude is gonna finish quick because it has to, because when that snow hits, you know, those plants are effed. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're the higher altitude stuff is definitely another good option for people growing in Northern latitudes. Mm. Yeah, we we do have a few Nepali varieties uh, on stock. I think there's one from uh, Panati village, which is uh, which is not very high latitude. It's around fifteen hundred meters, I think, and it's uh, basically like the Tarai region. So the slope becomes a lot more obtuse around that part of the Himalayas because you're like almost approaching the flatlands. So that's like one of the really good places to grow actually. Uh, that's just one of the best soils you're going to find. And, but um, <laughs> I mean, 90s, so I couldn't know like what uh, hash in 90s was like because I was like born in 1990. So um, yeah, I'm like, I'm not like 160 or 70 years old, so. Yeah, I don't know what hash was like in 1990s, to be honest, man. So, uh, yeah, I can tell you what hash was like after like around when I started smoking around like 2003, four. So I, 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 can, I can definitely talk about that. But yeah, we have uh, these Nepali varieties on stock and they, they pretty much are like, you know, old school varieties, um, you know, as they, they, they were, I think, I, I don't really see any changes in them because, you know, we have very similar regions in India as well um, with very similar climate. And what we see is that an absolutely similar phenotypic expression in India as we would see in Nepal. And really the driving force has been, you know, uh, the, the climate and the terroir, and, you know, the, in fact, the soil, because there's just one region. I mean, if you look at like Nepal and, you know, Uttarakhand, and uh, you know even some other regions like Bihar and Uttar Pradesh, they're like all bordered, and you more or less have like a similar climate and terroir, except for the Annapurna circuit of Nepal, which is really high altitude and uh, that just goes on a whole different level. So you have snow coming in a lot early in those areas compared to you know the flatland or the Terai region where it doesn't snow at all. What are some of the other traits that you see in those uh, mountain varieties? Yeah, so these mountain, I mean, 
<clears throat> one of the things that you could do or someone could do is like come to a country like India and you know you could start from flatlands <clears throat> like a place like Punjab and you can slowly move up, move upwards into the mountains and you could see how gradually that plant changes its expression in order to adapt to as the environment is changing as well with the altitude so the main difference that we have been able to see between you know the, the varieties which are growing in flatlands and the ones that are being grown in the highlands of india is that of the vigor and you know the, the flavors are more intense the, the colors are more lucid and they tend to have better vigor but behind vigor and uh, you know having uh, better flavors you know there's also is the farmer you know the, the domestication work that has gone behind those varieties so the, the flatlands of India basically become the urban centers. So you, you just couldn't, you know, you couldn't be planting cannabis here uh, because there's law to some degree still. And then you go onto the mountain territories, which are, I'm not saying they're like completely lawless, but you know, they are so vast and, you know, so spread out that you could be growing cannabis in any valley and be no problem. So there people were actually able to, you know, fertilize them, you know, select for fiber because fiber trade is something that we can certainly see in Himalayan varieties that, you know, you can see back in the day, these varieties were selected for fiber. And to this day, we can see uh, many villages are actually using these varieties for fiber as well alongside resin. So um, that, that's like one of the things that you're going to notice when you're going to uh, look at these Himalayan varieties, especially the high latitude Himalayan varieties from Uttarakhand, Himachal and Nepal region, the Northwestern Himalayas, basically. So the, the, the other, you know, starkingly different, you know, trait that I've seen in these uh, plants is that of the resin texture that we already spoke about, that they have a very sticky resin texture opposed to the dry resin texture that we find in, you know, the dry regions. And apart from that, the, the, the flavors they have, they tend to be on more sweeter and, you know, more like likable uh, tangents, the tangents that, uh, that, are, that are liked by the pollinators, such as the bees, because you have, uh, you know, th th I mean, these are like tropics. So you have all kinds of flowers and bee populations are like just immense here compared to places which are dry as in like Balochistan or Afghanistan where you, where you don't have uh, the bee population that I mean there are bees out there but it's not one of the main pollinators the pollinators are different so what we also see in uh, these Himalayan regions is that the, this, the aromas the, the smells have developed in a very sweeter and fruity and floral tangents the, these are like the main smells that the smells have gone on to uh, develop into. And when we move to the other side, we go, we go to the drier places, to the higher latitudes where uh, you, you don't have, uh, you know, a lot of flowers growing around. You don't have a lot of shrubs growing around. You just have like desert and patches of weeds, you know, and, and they're like far apart. So th they're like two things we've noticed. So when these populations are so far apart, you know, in order to attract the pollinators, they, they have to be smelling a lot harder than the plants which are actually growing in the vicinity of other shrubs. So, and we do see that in these Afghari varieties, uh, the intensity of the smell is just so much better. I mean, so much intense. And the aromas, not, not in all population, but in most of the population, we are able to find aromas which are foul, like, you know, rotting fruit and or like rotting eggs or meat or 
you know, even other kind of like foul smell like gas or diesel, which is like really common diesel, I would say is like pretty common in those varieties. So, and then that's because they have this just different set of pollinators out there. So the Himalayan varieties, you know, they, they're just so much different uh, from these varieties that, you know, grow in drier and higher latitude regions. And one of the main differences is also that the, our Himalayan varieties here, they are like multi-purpose. So not only that, you know, farmers are getting resin, like I said before, they're also getting fiber. They're also taking out seed and these seeds are huge in size. The, from the ones which are the domesticated varieties that are coming from the mountainous regions. Uh, if you come down to the flatlands, the urban center where you have feral varieties or wild varieties, they have very tiny seeds because they're not domest domesticated. So it's very natural for them to have like small tiny seeds which are self-ejected. And then we move up to the mountains, we see the seeds are bigger, the plants are more robust and the plant do not uh, you know, self-eject the seeds as well. So farmers can actually go and, you know, collect plenty of those seeds and uh, use them from next season, use them for nutrition, you know, so many uh, other different things. Uh, a lot of farmers in Milana also, you know, uh, use them for extracting oil and they're using that oil for cooking, using it in soups. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just, you know, that that plant actually stands up to the definition of lifeline when you go in the Himalayas, you can like really see why it's called the, called the lifeline uh, of, you know, the mountain regions. That's so neat. I didn't realize that they came from more uh, fiber producing lines. Uh, I didn't know that. That's, that's definitely cool. And it's interesting to hear about the seed size. I know it, there's so much different variation in seed size in cannabis. It's a uh, uh, quite interesting to hear about that different differentiation between the highland stuff and the lowland stuff. Mm. It's just, I mean, uh, it, it also has a lot to do with, you know, <clears throat> how things are. So all of the uh, lowland areas or the flatland uh, regions of India, I mean, they're like urban centers, there are cities and there's so many people. So they're just so populated. You, you, you couldn't be doing cannabis. I mean, you could not be growing cannabis there. So whatever cannabis used to grow there, I mean, like years and or ages ago when it weren't like a, a urban center, they've gone feral because, you know, nobody's domesticating them anymore or, uh, you know, they just grow from wherever on the side of the road or they'd be growing under a street light. And you could, it, and you could see even those varieties have adapted somehow uh, you know, in order to grow properly in the urban areas, because there are lights everywhere, even even during the nights. So we see a lot of these populations have developed a high rate of hermaphroditism or, you know, autoflowering traits. So they tend not to follow the light cycle. They just like grow to a certain stage and then just start to flower and also have like male and female um, because you don't really have a jungle. So you could have a situation where someone can come and, you know, just like uh, knock off the male and you just have a female there. So what we're seeing in these urban areas also is that the cannabis is changing slowly. And uh, what you see in these population is they're dominated by plants which have intersex traits and autoflowering traits. Yeah. Kind of like they're surviving on their own sort of thing. Have you found any cultivars that like the, I think a lot of people have claimed the Zamal uh, reunion island stuff will do it but have you found anything in the indian stuff or anywhere else in asia that 
will reveg and produce flowers multiple times without having to be, you know, totally chopped down. Uh, I know quite a few people are work, looking for that. I know um, Canatai mm -hmm. Seeds has found that trait in in some of the um, the, the freak show stuff. Uh, have you found any um, anything like that in any of the land race there in, in the equatorial regions that you've been working with? No, not 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 really. I mean, because uh, <clears throat> most of these equatorial regions uh, uh, in in India, they they grow very in a very systematic way as they would do in Thailand. I mean, plant the, everything is planted in rows and everything, so they pretty much just cut down, harvest everything, so they don't really like leave anything behind for any any of that phenomenon to actually take place. So that could happen. Could have happened in like highland regions but then you know the snow comes in and you know, they have a entirely different story so oh th there's a good possibility you know that uh genotypes like this are lurking on in those populations but i mean uh, they would have to again you know broaden to xc2 uh, you know settings and then you know grown and reversed by someone you know who knows like you know what's going on and all that sure is there any other really funky traits that you found? Uh, maybe not quite like that, but something else that's kind of been very unique to the uh, the different Asian genetics that you've worked with there? Something, well, you know, the, 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 there are so many. I mean, uh, there's just not like one that I can really point to, but um, I, I think like one of, one of, one of the beauty, beautiful things that I've seen, and, and it's it's something, you know, that, uh, really also shows how these plants have adapted according to the season length and all of these things. So if if you go to any of the if you go to the northwestern highlands of India, that is your Himachal, Uttarakhand, Nepal, you know, this like whole region of Himalayas, uh, subtropical highlands, what you will see is when uh, when the seedlings emerge around say like March, April, they have really broad leaves very similar to, as you would see in, uh, you know, the broadleaf varieties, the, the pretty much even you, you it'd be hard for anyone to even, you know, discern between them and any broadleaf variety. But as they tend to grow, you know, what, what they do is like, they, they, they tend to grow narrower and narrower leaf. And as they hit flowering, you know, those leaves need really get, uh, you know, narrower. So what we've seen is like, uh, right around uh, March, early March, <clears throat> when the seedlings are emerging from the ground in these areas, even though you know the spring has emerged, but the light, but the amount of light, the amount of insulation is really low. I mean, uh, you're not getting like a full uh, full sun, so you're getting only about let's say nine or you know hardly ten hours of uh, sunlight. So in order to you know capture enough sunlight energy these plants start out with really broad leaves. So they can, uh, you know, uh, what, what do you, they can, so they can like compensate in a way for the shorter insulation that is present during March and the early April. After the April, as the sun, uh, sunlight hours begin to increase and they, you know, go towards like a high, which is around like the 21st June. That's when you see that the leaves uh, get like sort of narrower because now the sunlight, uh, the amount of, uh, insulation is, uh, you know, getting more and more. So they tend not to need, you know, that broader leaflet to store more energy. And as we move again towards the flowering, we see, you know, those leaves get narrower because uh, they just like to, uh, you know, 
I mean, at, at that point, I mean, when the plant is just going into flowering, you know, the plant is just really focusing into the flower and, you know, most of the light energy is being actually, uh, you know, used by the flowers and the bracts itself. So, you know, that's, that's something really interesting to see because, uh, you know, we used to, we used to uh, bring back these varieties from Himalayas and actually grow and wonder, you know, why would they have such broad leaves, but only to later go on and have an absolutely, you know, like a narrow leaf kind of expression. And then, you know, we really looked at, you know, the amount of insulation and how it moves from month to month and then really becomes clear. I mean, it's very similar to, as you would see, uh, people living in higher latitudes where, uh, you know, the sunlight is really low. So they have very less melanin and they uh, and the skin skin is like really fair so that they can absorb, you know, a lot of energy because the sun is not out there so much. They're on the higher latitudes. And as you move from higher latitudes towards the equator, you see the skin gets like slowly darker and darker because right at the equator, you know, there's so much sun that you don't really need all that, you know. So in order to, you know, block some of that, you have melanin. So in a very similar way, these plants have uh, the broadness of the leaf actually is, you know, is, is, is what's uh, changing. But this is not something that's changing from region to region. This is changing within a life cycle of a plant. The plant is actually starting out with really broad leaves because the insulation is uh, less. And then it slowly, you know, moves towards an expression of narrow leaves because, you know, the sunlight becomes more abundant in the environment. And, you know, it's, it's just something really beautiful to see. That's really interesting. I know there was a, a group I was working with in Oklahoma and they had a one that went from a super serrated leaf to a very normal looking leaf as it aged. Um, it's also mm -hmm. interesting to hear going from wide to thin leaf because I don't think I've heard of any cultivar doing that. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, at, at times, I mean, you know, you'll you'll see plants with very deep serrations or uh, <clears throat> where serrations are not per se defined in a way that they even cease to look like cannabis. So, you know, uh, I, I think we we did find one plant this year. And it was actually the opposite. It didn't have any serrations at all. So it looks uh, sort of weird. We actually posted a video of that around, I think around June or July, I think around July, to go down in the feed. So that was pretty interesting. So of course there are like one odd plants out there. I mean, e even in humans, I mean, if, if you just like look at, you know, like all the birds which are happening, there are like so many defects and so, so much happening in those babies. So I mean, it's just pretty much same for the plants as well. When they're grown in like larger numbers and like bigger spaces, then we like tend to find things uh, which we haven't really seen. Trying to find your uh, plant here. I'll find it. Um, uh, what are, uh, let me see, there was another question from chat. It says, have you found any strains that's, or I have found some Indian strains smell like sandalwood and pepper. Uh, the hash from it was in extremely aromatic and very thick smoke. Um, have you found any genetics like that in your search? Yes, sandalwood is actually, uh, like I said, one of the, I wouldn't say very common, but it's uh, easily found smells. Uh, we've found this smell in uh, Northwestern Himalayas in Malana. We've found this smell and you know 
in some other uh, you know eastern varieties in around like like andhra and then we found that smell also in a variety like pulwama which is from kashmir and right now i'm working with actually uh, one of the varieties uh, which is from kashmir pulwama and we were like reproducing it we reproduced it uh, using uh, a few different plants like seven females and three males there were some green some purple some reds and then in the f2 you know uh, after we you know smoked out the f1 samples and everything we we were able to see that okay this this one green uh, green plant that had a sandalwood like smell it it had the best effects i mean it was pretty intense in comparison to all the other uh, you know plants so we took out seeds from that plant and then we reproduced again this year and uh, uh, we're actually about to release that lot uh, very soon i think this month itself and and that contains uh, the sandalwood smell and it, it is actually beautiful because it's not just sandalwood uh, it, it's it's a floral sandalwood like a incense like when you have a mixed floral sandalwood like incense that you would burn it gives off that kind of smell so it's really beautiful and when it dries this it it maintains that smell because at times what we see uh, uh these aromas tend to like change a lot as, as they're drying sometimes they you know completely change when they when they're dried out so this particular plant also you know when it was dried out was okay it had that smell you know that sandalwood smell so it's actually actually good i'm like hoping to actually myself get into the after generation as well and see you know uh if we have been able to increase the frequency of occurrence for the plants that carry that smell that particular smell of sandalwood incense and you know if it comes out to be about like at least 30 40% then you know i would like to invest more time and see if i can really just narrow down a population that is dominated by that sort of smell in the future of course is there anything that you're excited for uh, aside from that uh, um uh, the Afghan project that you're excited for in the next uh, the next round or two of breeding, uh, any any kind of sneak previews you want to give people? I mean that that's really I mean uh, what where everything is going right now our attention our energy, everything. Uh, but we recently had uh, a release for Double Delight. That's uh, that was my first hybrid that I've bred, and uh, you know I wasn't really able to make so many seeds. So I believe not everybody who wanted to get them were able to get it so uh, i just wanted to let people know that you know our team is working on you know reproducing it again and you know they will be available soon so anybody uh, listening in if there, there's anyone out there who wanted to get that variety and was not able to get it there's going to be more seeds made you know we've saved the cut female we also have uh, you know tons of po uh, pollen from the same male so you know we'll be able to create that after generation one more time and then we'll be like you know looking further in more like creative directions with that plant that's that purple plant uh you know that completely purple buds it was actually pretty freaky you know it look, looks great i know i've certainly never seen one with that amount of vibrant color across the whole plant i've certainly seen it in the you know, seen them get darker or things like that, but that is like a violet purple and it's such a beautiful, beautiful plant. It was it was beautiful to look at. I must have brought like, I don't know, man, like 40, 50 people to just to show them 
because it was so beautiful i would just like bring my friends from even different cities i would like call them come here i'll show you something really cool so yeah, it was really something to look at so As... keeping it i'm sorry i'm sorry there was a little delay there i thought you did stuff go ahead uh no uh, i was just gonna finish like that you know we, we 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 so we kept the female and you know hopefully we'll be seeing more seats coming in the future that's wonderful um is there has there been any harder uh since the change in government there in afghanistan to, to keep working with these farmers or has that been pretty much uh unchanged no it has changed a lot actually uh if you if you talk about like north north northern afghanistan uh it's almost impossible to cultivate anything and that's one of the reasons why you would see i mean people like um, you know baba you already know like uh, baba from afghanistan right so so you wouldn't seem like post a lot of plants this year because you know he lives in north and yeah man like not even smoking is really hard now i mean let alone growing it uh but if you uh come towards like northeast where uh, taliban doesn't have a stranglehold and even in south because south is like so vast so people can just go uh, towards like the border region you know uh, around like balochistan and afghanistan border they can go and they can plant there so they've been able to plant still but the cultivation has gone down by at least tenfolds and as a result in the neighboring countries which enjoy afghan hashish prices have gone up for ganashish uh, very 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 steeply for them as well because the cultivation has plummeted and but they're still growing and uh you know if they get found found out growing uh, of, of course you know uh, they'll have to deal with the consequences and you know not to mention that they they, they get dire over there you know so um really i mean hats off to those people they're still choosing to do this i know they they make money out of this but still i mean you know a thousand other ways of making money and they still choose to do this so you know hats off to those people they're still uh, trying to keep it alive but yes things have changed a lot since then and i would say if you really want to get a beat on you know how things are in afghanistan right now like in terms of like taliban rule post uh you you should like probably think of getting baba on your show and like speak with him and um, yeah he'll be able to really give you a rundown of what's going down in terms of laws and law and order all that stuff that would be a that'd be awesome I'll have to get his info from you that'd be great yeah of course i'll i'll i'll, I'll you can like get him and i'll look you up i'll I'll get you to talk to him and then you can ask him to come over not sure if he can how much english he can speak but he can certainly speak enough that would be wonderful yeah yes well that'd be great yeah no that's that's awesome um what uh is there any other um things that you usually recommend to people as far as indian specific cultivars or things that they should uh, look out for or you find you uh, you know particularly um Uh, interesting or tasty or you know unique uh from the you know in specific to india um uh, yeah i mean the high is uh one of the things you know that i i think is like one of the main things in all of this process the effects of a certain cultivar or a certain variety so 
the the creeper high that comes from the Kashmiri variety. I think I absolutely love that, and I I like to speak about it a lot to even other people you know who who are trying to get these uh, seeds from like Kashmiri varieties. And and the good thing about this sort of effect is not something that you have to hunt. I mean, it's just there in Kashmiri varieties. No matter what Kashmiri variety you pick, they there's a signature creeper high that starts very slowly from your back, you know, from your back borders, slowly, you know, builds up in the head and then it just like peaks. So you really have a very uh, euphoric, uh, you know, sort of like period that you could say the peak of the high is and then it slowly comes down as well. And, you know, after it's like completely worn off, it doesn't leave your uh, head like you know where you were hungover or something so it's really smooth and it's uh something everyone must experience i mean uh even in us and europe there are a lot of uh, you know kashmiri varieties present so you can like pretty much get your hands on any of those and then you could uh you know try to smoke and ex actually experience it i actually shared um some seeds with someone in us and he was able to grow a big crop of uh, Northern Kashmiri uh, variety, and then he extracted the resin and he pressed it down into the oil, and he smoked that. And uh, you know, when he came back to tell me about how the effect were, he basically ended up, you know, writing almost like a poem, you know, to describe, you know, how the effects were. They were like so poetic, so beautiful. That's that's really awesome. Uh, I certainly want to try and uh, get my hands on some of those. Uh, do any other panelists have any other questions for our guest? Uh, I'm sure you guys have a couple that you guys have been waiting to ask. Well, you kind of touched on it. I was going to ask if he ever got into any sticky spots that he was able to tell us about on his adventures out with, I don't know, bad, dirty cops or angry locals or oh yeah lots lot, lots of times like what's the standard for getting out of a situation like that so i mean there's not like a field guide for it for sure i mean i mean uh for me i'm mostly able to speak and communicate with people because i can speak a few different regional languages from around here i can also speak urdu so you know i can get around a lot of these places actually and then the main thing is the, the communication. Most of the times, you know, people come from different countries and they get into these sticky places somewhere. The main problem is they're not really able to communicate uh, at times. And even the people who are in the forest, they're not, uh, you know, really up to date with English or like the other foreign languages. So, yeah. And, you know, rest, you know, you, uh, you, you can always pay and, you know, get out of a situation you know that that's like a standard i would say <laughs> at least in asia i mean i'm not sure about the rest of the world it works in the caribbean too as well <laughs> oh yeah. yeah same thing but uh, uh can attire infamous did you guys have any questions i was curious uh was there any other type of hash techniques that they use? Do they ever like do BHO or do any press or anything like that? Or is it strictly just the traditional methods of producing the hash? Ice, ice extract, maybe. 
Okay, so um, <clears throat> I mean, up up until this point, people have been strictly just you know sticking to what they've been doing to tra- traditionally. But uh, I mean, just recently, <clears throat> I had a pl- friend in Milana. So because you know there are a lot of foreigners and a lot of people from other cities are visiting that place. So they keep telling these farmers about, oh, have you seen this? And you know, have you seen that? And they would show them you know pictures of BHO. So someone you know uh, must have shown them this picture of. BHO and somehow they explained them okay this is how to do it and they were able to get like canisters of uh, you know butane as well and and we found out about it and and we we were able to see okay you know this is like you guys should not be doing it i mean because you absolutely are not going to be able to purge out you know any of that butane from that stuff and then you just be like giving it to people so yeah. what we thought you know because you know in traditional places you, you don't really have uh, how should i say this we don't have kind of a position that we can uh, you know take something away from them if they're doing it they're gonna it's really up to them if they want to like stop doing it or not but what we could do is present them with an alternative which is much cheaper efficient and get them the same results so what i did was i went back and uh, you know i i got one of my friends uh, who do who does metal works so i got him to create a press uh, a makeshift rosin press that actually works and we sent it out there to to the guy who was it was just one guy who was who had started making bhu but it was only a matter of time that it was going to like spread out to other people <clears throat> so we we got him the press and now you know he's not going to be you know doing bhu instead he's going to be like pressing his hash and he's going to be taking out you know uh, rosin hash rosin you know call it oil and it's going to fetch him the same result and he doesn't have to pay for the butane and you know and we also told him that he's probably like taking a big risk doing this you could like probably blow up uh the place if he's doing it inside like a small room which is what which is where they're doing it most of the time so uh that is taken care of uh, but yes we now you could say i mean at least one family in milana now has a rosin press uh, but they're still rubbing the plants they because their plants are seeded so they can't take uh, the buds and you know they can't be pressing buds so they have to still make the hash but then they take some of their hash turn it into oil and then it you know like sells for a lot more than the hash because it looks like oil so things are changing you know things will change it's really not up to us but uh, as like i said you know sometimes we see something happening which is really not good and you know we, we don't have the power to stop it but we provide an alternative and see if they latch on to it and there's so much good so much good uh charged on the, the old school techniques that i wouldn't even really want to attempt any other ways when you got all those flavors you know mm-hmm. that's what i think i just think i already see it man it's that stuff's just can you, great all the way can you tell us about this one because this looks similar to australian bastard cannabis yeah so uh this is from srinagar kashmir and uh this this is a trade that uh, is not very common i'd say but uh, we were like seeing plants like this time and again so uh i mean to the degree that the leaves are like that on this particular plant is also because it was like flowering uh, those those leaves are like really around the flower so they tend to be like uh-huh. little thicker like bracts uh but still uh, this plant is a lot different from a normal looking plant in kashmir this is from uh, this one a special one we got from dachigam national park uh 
Throw them yeah, so how many is there? How many do you get of these? Do you get a few? Be, or? Uh, so you get them in patches in Kashmir. You don't have uh, like large cultivation in Srinagar because of you know how things are out there. So what you see is right. you have to go in the wild or uh, you know a, a little bit away from the population, and you will see patches of like ten here, twenty there, and they're mostly eaten or grazed by goats. So. Uh, you know, you you find them in like very small, like clustered up shrubs, uh, like plant. But yeah, mostly this plant. Uh, we had a bunch of plants that actually look like this. I actually have posted pictures, uh, which had uh, leaves even funnier. You know, even funnier leaves. If you now, do, do those get, do those get uh, pollinated and maybe people keep the seeds and tag them as Newton or over there? Yeah, so uh, no, I mean, they're not like really uh, people, local people are not really after, I mean, tra such traits, they're just like making hash. So when we were out there, we were able to take out seeds and, you know, we germinated. We, um, I didn't find, found exactly like a plant like that, but, you know, I found a plant that's like somewhat closer. So I'm like trying to work with it. I'm uh, also like reproduce it. And trying to see maybe in a larger population, I may be able to see that expression again. And at the same mm -hmm. time, trying to outcross it, outcross it to Swabi and see maybe if that brings out that trait uh, in the hybrid progeny. But I'd be more interested to actually looking into the F2 and seeing if I can actually find that particular characteristic in the larger population. Right. That's cool. I, I like, I kind of have a little. I like mutant genetics too. I love all. I love. I love. I love the plant in general. So that doesn't matter. I just. I like it all. So, but the mutants are cool. They're new to me, so I kind of have fun with them. Yeah, that that's the one we like plugged it out of the ground. I like it. It's definitely different. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's not the same. Yeah, it's definitely something different. Hey, you should make a new brand, uh, Thailand Mutant Ninja Cannabis. <laughs> Ninja Cannabis. <laughs> and some of these are really, really, really different. That's yeah, cool. those are amazing are colors and just the morphology of the leaves are just wow. Yeah, you know, it looks a lot. It's, some of those leaves remind me of the ABC Freak Show because of the, the single blade. Some of them have that Three, triple, three blade, and tri and single, and tr triple, and uh, yeah, I, I get stuff like this, but not like that, but kind of like that. And those uh, leaves yeah. are like really small if you look at them, also. Yeah, they look, like they, they look they're mutant, but they look like they, they're oily and they're, but, they smell like so this is like the temperate region. I'm, I'm so I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. So, so, so this is the plant. This is the expression you found find in the flatlands, temperate region. You know the parallel plant that I was talking about with the smaller seeds. So, yeah. Uh, the earlier. So, so that's that expression. That's that feral. And this same plant becomes mm -hmm. a lot more robust and more productive as uh -huh. you move towards the mountains because of the domestication and the weather is also more conducive. Uh, you know, these plants tend to like you know cooler, cooler weather. So. Oh, look at this. Uh, yeah, I love yeah. this. This is, this is from Indo-Tibetan border, 
this is uh, just like right at the Indian to Beijing border. I mean, this was just amazing. Some of these plants from this place, they didn't even look like cannabis plant. You could just walk yeah. right past them and not know they're like cannabis plant. There's that a couple more, I think. It's amazing. It reminds me of uh, like freak show family ish, ish. You know, I'm not going to say that, but like that kind of. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, they are. That one with the pistols is crazy. It's like a grin spoon knot, but crazy. We ran into a, a green spoon uh, expression. It's in the video that I posted yesterday or this morning, I guess, you guys' this time. Yeah, that's long. Yeah, they're really cool. I think they're cool. You, do you know much about the different grading of the different hashes there in, in that region? Can you explain that? Because I know yeah. there's different yeah. grades. Yeah, so that, that's actually like a really important thing out there. I mean, <laughs> because like I said, they not so much about the plant as they're about the hash. So, I, I mean, like starting from the bottom, I mean, you have jungla. And jungla is basically is they, they're rubbing plants which are not fully domesticated. And also, you know, the rubbing is being done in a way, you know, that's really harsh. And it's being done from a point of view that they have to accumulate as much as they can. So they're really keen on getting a lot of plant matter along with the resin on their palm so they can like produce more. So they're not thinking quality, they're thinking quantity. So that that is basically your jungla. And then you move up a tier is you have a medium business quality is what we, we call it in India. And a medium piece is, it does have, you know, some uh, plant matter, but it has a lot more, uh, you know, resin content along with it. I mean, certainly more than the jungle lion. That hash is also not rubbed from, you know, uh, like wild plants. It's, it's rubbed from fully domesticated and fully ripened plants. It's just that the rub would be done by a lady or by like a kid in the village. So it's not going to be that proficient. It's not going to be that clean per se. And after that, you have to be, after those two tiers, the third tier is when you like, uh, you know, uh, start to see the cream and cream is basically when you begin to see at least 60 person, you know, like uh, resin to plant matter ratio. And it'll be really sticky. It'll be gooey. It'll stretch. And it's going to have a beautiful smell. And yeah, you could just tell by looking at it, this is good stuff. You know, it's shiny and all that. And after cream, you have super cream. And super cream is a matter of art. I mean, only very few people in the village know how to do it. In every family, there's only like one person, you know, who can do it. And males do it. Uh, females do not uh, make super cream. So they would just go out and, you know, first of all, pick out the plants that they want to use for that particular session. And all of those plants have to be absolutely ripened and pristine. The second thing is they have to pick the day that it has to be a shiny day. It can't be overcasting, casted day. So uh, that a shiny, uh, uh, you know, sunlit day is when they get the best results with, hash, uh, with you know, hand rubbing. Then they would also have like a person with them who would be simultaneously, you know, like preparing those buds by taking out all the leaves. So the guy who's rubbing it is not also doing that so that his hands are not touching any impurities, not, you know, getting like any other impurities or, you know, plant matter onto his hands. It's not accumulating anything else except for the resin. And the last but not the least thing is that 
they work in very small sessions as in they would only accumulate about like one or two grams at the most and then they will just take it off because that is the point you know after which you begin to accumulate more plant matter because you have like a film of sort of like oil on your palms so that's when they just stop and they just take it out and it's a very slow tedious process a whole day's working only gets you about like you know say 10 grams if you're lucky uh, but it sells for a lot and it's you could say just it's almost oil if you, if you press it down uh if you press down say like 10 percent uh, 10 grams of that you should be easily able to get like eight eight grams of oil if not more so that's basically what the grading is they also make oil but it's it's not good because they're basically boiling down plants and uh, some people are also doing alcohol extraction but those things are basically sold to people who want it for medicinal purposes. Um, recreational people, uh, you know, stick to hash. Yeah, no, it's uh, uh, so what it, the is so it takes three years to make the cream, is what you're saying? I'm sorry. You said it takes three years for that cream to form in the hash in the aging process. No, 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 not not three years. Um, no, I mean, I mean, it's it's made. It's just like made in like small sessions. I mean, the super cream, you know, like, uh, let's say if you're just making cream or you're making a medium quality charas, then you can make say thirty to forty grams in a day. But if you're making super cream, then you can only make about eight, seven, eight grams in a day because the process itself is so slow of, of, you know, rubbing and they have to be very careful. They're not getting any plant matter or, you know, stuck on their palms along with the oil. And as soon as they have about like uh, one gram, one and a half gram on their palms, they will just like take it off. So because the process is slow, I mean, the whole day's working, you know, you can only make so much, you know, you can only make seven or eight grams. And then other uh, type of hash, which is like more rugged, you know, is not that carefully uh, taken out of plants by women and children and other family members. The, you know, they, they end up making like 30, 40, 50 grams in a day because it's just, they're just like rubbing it really fast. Interesting. It's also fun to hear. It's a whole family affair there. Uh, definitely something that you can't do in a lot of places in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, you could see uh, really small kids doing it. You could see, uh, you know, all the women doing it. So, uh, I mean, one can argue about the fact that, you know, kids shouldn't be, uh, you know, doing it because sometimes it's like really small kids who don't even know what they're doing. But at the same time, that's their legacy. I mean, that's what their forefathers have done, their father is doing, and probably they'd be doing so. Sometimes it makes sense. But again, you know, that's something that's really up to them, you know, how they want to do it. I know every culture is different and has their own different things. And I think as long as people aren't, uh, you know, abusing anything, it's all good. Um, uh, any other um, uh, uh, things that you'd like to uh, tell us when it comes to working with these different Asian land races compared to other, you know, maybe land races out there that you've uh, maybe had a chance to, to work with here and there? Any reason why people should kind of look towards the, the Asian stuff over some of the other options that are out there? 
Yeah, a lot of reasons actually. Uh, like I even mentioned earlier, you know, I spoke about a couple of trades in specific that you know those things could be incorporated, you know, into the existing gene pools, and you know they can bring so much good for the plants. For example, you know, I, I keep hearing about like PM problem in uh, in in places in US, and you know, a lot of mold issues as well. Like people have to cut down early, so. <clears throat> They could uh, certainly, you know, you know, they should certainly be looking into directions such as, you know, mixing some Southeast Asian varieties from places like Thailand, uh, Laos, Cambodia, you know, these places, getting those genetics incorporated into their gene pool and see if uh, they can find, you know, plants which are every bit like, you know, their selections were, but just also with, you know, uh, but but just also being impervious to wet conditions. So, uh, I and I think it's such such an important thing. You know, it's such an important trade. It's not just like a very small thing. You know, it's difference between having a proper harvest and not having one. I I keep seeing you know every year that around September, late September, people start making memes on people that people have to harvest early. Oh, it's gonna rain, so I just harvested early. At least you know it won't be moldy. So. You know, I think there are better ways to deal with those situations, especially, you know, we are human beings and we have bred all kinds of plants. So this is really not a big deal. And people, if they start taking, you know, Southeast Asian varieties seriously in terms of breeding, um, I think uh, they can really turn around, you know, the existing gene pool in terms of being resistant to uh, issues which arise from wet conditions like mold, mildew and all that stuff. So people should really be looking into that. Amen. I think people often get uh, overly worried about herms too. I mean, uh, you always have that small amount in every population, but I haven't really seen it happen more here so far than I have in any other type of, of land race situation. Like in the stuff I saw in Jamaica and Africa, wasn't herming any more or less than the stuff I've seen here. So I think it kind of gets a artificially bad rap when it comes to that. And it's not really deserved, at least what I've seen. Me too. The truth, I've seen more. I've seen, I've seen more herm problems with online C bank autos, and I'm not gonna say no things, but there's posts, many posts, posts that people stack up on comments talking about uh, a lot of a lot of herm, and I hear and I have seen in six years of out here hunting around in the in the villages, I've seen a couple of herms, but it's not like. Uh, nothing as bad as I see online with other stuff. So, you know, see a lot of good stuff actually out here. Yeah, um, these the Southeast Asian varieties, you know, I've, I've seen like people kind of have this, uh, how I, I would call it like a post hoc explanation sort of like that, you know, high stuff harms more or like this tropical stuff harms more. Uh, I, you know, I, I really, I personally don't believe that. But what one thing is that could be said positively about it is that because it flowers for a longer duration, so it has a larger probability of, you know, producing hermaphrodite flower. So purely by possibility, because uh, the hermaphroditism or the intersex trait can only pop up during the flowering time. So if uh, a certain plant has a larger flowering duration, so it would have a larger probability of having, you know, it. But I, I don't think that is what people should be looking at when they're breeding. What they should be looking at it is what is the frequency of 
occurrence and like when you actually cross it out you know actually does it actually carry forward on uh, you know along with other traits that you want or could it be isolated from those traits that you're actually looking to you know introgress from these varieties onto your existing gene pool so those those are the things that people should be uh, you know more concerned about rest you know we talk about hermaphrodites they're everywhere they're in you know kani varieties indian varieties pakistani thai cambodian laws i mean there is no escape from it it's 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 part of the natural population and it's going to be there but it's a marginal we can we can all the reason that we only see very very few of these is because it's a deleterious trait and nature has a way of keeping it at you know margin at bay so yeah it's not that big of a problem as long as you know people are breeding in proper ways and you know doing you know assessment of their genetics and you know i, I don't think becomes that big of a problem i think green are a great building block like you said to to input and make hybrids to pull what you you know what you what your what your uh, you had in mind in the beginning of doing it and then pulling out and actually seeing some of the stuff really close to what you thought you'd see. It's a great feeling because I've had luck over here, whatever you want to call it, uh, knock on wood, but I've seen some really amazing stuff from the West Coast California input into these heirlooms and the F1s that come out are just really, really cool. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> one of the things, you know, that people might be pleasantly surprised uh, with when they breed with Southeast Asian varieties is that uh, the vigor that's going to come out, you know. Uh, when, I, uh, when I started breeding this, okay, I've only like bred one variety so far. So when I just started breeding it out, you know, the first thing that I, I did to start off was cross a Hindu Kush male to a Burmese female. And, you know, the progeny that came out of it, it had vigor, you know, for like ages. I mean, I mean that, that, that is the vigor that, you know, people should be targeting. So I was so happy to see that. And, and it stayed, you know, even, even when we, you know, like uh, reproduced it further into like F2 and, you know, then outcrossed it, we were able to like keep it and maintain it, you know, in a, in a, in a good proportion within those populations. So it's, it's just amazing, you know, how the, the, I mean, the overall vigor is improved so much. So, so people should like experiment a lot. And I think, uh, the biggest fear people have is that these Southeast Asian varieties, uh, you know, they don't have that intense uh, flavors or, you know, like, you know, you can't just like dry them and smoke them. They won't give you flavor. You have to cure them for a very long time. So mm -hmm. they just don't want those kind of traits to creep into their, uh, you know, commercially viable crops. So, and it's very understandable, but I think that's where the selection process and that's where the breeder comes into the picture. So if even that much is not being done, then, you know, uh, you oh, think that going to be a problem with everyone. Right. Yeah. This one was grown by someone in uh, United States, I think. And some, I think around like Rocky Mountain somewhere. Hmm. Wow. Back in 2019, 18, I think. 19. The size of those flowers. Holy crap. Right. And look at the leaf, man. There's barely any, there's no serration really. Some beautiful plants, man. Yes, 100.
Was there anything else you wanted to share with our uh, our listeners and uh, before we start to wrap up the show? Uh, it's been a really wonderful episode. Uh, um, always fun to see the, the triple plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think we've uh, pretty much uh, you know touched. I think a little on everything. Uh, there is anything else? I mean, you like to ask or you know discuss? Sure. I want to somehow run. I would love to get beans from over there someday. That's like, I oh yeah, it. it's like a three-hour flight. You can, uh, you you can come here. It, it only it takes around like three hours, and you'll be here. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely gonna. Once we get the farm fully up and running, I definitely gotta come see you because you're not, you're not that far. So, yes, please do, and uh, you know, I'll keep some you know good stuff here uh, for that oh, yeah. time. We'll bring you some goodies too. <laughs> uh, how do people uh, how do people find you and your your amazing uh, work and all the other stuff that you do? Um, yeah, on Instagram, I mean um, that's where you know, that's where everything is. And uh, as far as seeds are concerned, uh, you know, there's some seed banks listed. I think on the bio as well. I'm not sure like who has what because I'm not personally managing any of the seeds. So. It is done by uh, like other guys on at full power selections, and um, they're like friends. Uh, a couple of people who actually started out uh, Indian Landers Exchange with me, and um, they pretty much like manage all the seeds and seed banks. So I'm pretty aware of a lot of things here. Wonderful. Well, thank you so so much for taking the time to join us today. I know. Uh... You had to get up a little bit early to join us. I know it was, I think, seven o'clock when we started the show this morning for you. So I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to come on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really interesting being here. And, you know, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone. I mean, but I really loved it. And I hope you guys really liked the conversation as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, that, that hash making technique was golden. I think we're going <laughs> to. Definitely cut that out and make a short little clip out of that because that was wholly new to me. And I have I've been through Africa and a bunch of other places and I've never heard of that one. But uh, that was certainly cool. And I very much thank you for sharing that and all the other wonderful knowledge that you shared today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll make sure, you know, I have some of that big hash when you when you come here. Uh, we, we can make sure you could try some of that. So you can come full circle. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> well thank you so much thank you you're welcome Bye. that was amazing uh, certainly one of the people that I follow and have been following for a long time on Instagram uh, someone that I see posting more interesting videos of, of cool land race stuff than, than anybody else out there yeah the walkthroughs the fields the walkthroughs with the rainstorms the wind the, and the cracking ground I just can't in the they're just medicine balls, you know? They're beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's amazing, actually. I mean, all, that, guess, all, yeah. that, all that chocolate chunks. I mean, my goodness. <sighs> amazing. We also had a, I had a video. I got a chance to visit another farm up in, uh, in Burry Rom, or not in Burry Rom, in Petchaboon up in the mountains. And they're growing a whole bunch of different, uh, mostly mango Thai stuff. So this was the first farm that I've been to where 
there was only a small percentage of the plants were lemonine dominant. They were very much the extreme minority. All the all of these were much more mango Thai or like um, like that, uh, like a guava uh, guava mango. So look the tan like Buddha tan. See? Yeah. So these were this was really cool and um, uh, you can check out the full video on my YouTube channel uh, Potent Ponics. I got the audio off at the moment, obviously. Um, but uh, you can see here, I mean, they're just massive plants. Obviously, they need, a, you know, maybe a little training on, on some scrogging and uh, and a couple other things. But uh, they're, they're learning. Bamboo stick here and there. Little cages. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that I noticed that they do here is they blast everything with a ton of trichoderma. And I think it's negatively, and I think that might be part of why some of these aren't getting super, super terpy, is that they're wiping out oh. all the mycorrhizae with the trichoderma. The trichoderma is dominating the soil, and it's great if you're just trying to get rid of mold, like for sure. But, you know, the consequences is that you're getting very, not a whole lot of terpene expression. So I think that that might also, because everywhere I've, everywhere I've gone where they had any kind of mold problems, I, you can see the trichoderma growing on the bamboo. I mean, you can clearly tell they're spraying it quite quite regularly. So that was another interesting observation I saw um, at this particular place. Um, let me skip through here a little bit. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of show you guys, you know, what, what Thai stuff is. And these are all month three of flower. So, you know, not fast finishers, but certainly heavy yielders. I'm not quite sure if you could pull this off in anywhere except for maybe SoCal or, or maybe Texas or, 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 or Florida or you know, somewhere else deep in the southern part of the U.S. But probably kick ass in Puerto Rico, though. Yeah, Caribbean, sure. Yeah, man, those would be all right in the Caribbean a bit. Yep. Dim, but you don't get a chance to walk into a grow like that too often. That's that stacked. <laughs> but that was pretty cool. But again, this was the the first grow I've been to where they were very clearly Thai stuff, but not not just blindly lemoning everything. That seems to be the main issue. But where's the? Oh, here it is. Oh, this is the one I wanted to show you. So this is that green spoon plant. Check it out. So it's got these crazy foxtails. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Look at that shit, dude. No way. Nice. But it's only on half the plant. The other half of the plant isn't really doing Oh, it's a lat. It is. It's a lat. It's on both of them. It's like only on part of the plant, but not the rest of the plant. <laughs> You can see this side is much less dense with leaves. I don't know if it's a light issue or what's going on there, but you know it's definitely different. But just very, yeah, very strange. Full green spoon look though. There's one's twigs coming off there. That's it. Yep. <laughs> Those Man, I don't always see that in the back of high times. I'm like, who the hell would buy that? Yeah, right? so green spoon takes like six months to finish. So that's the other <laughs> there's like, like one it's like, like stick to trichome ratio is like even. Yep. 
<laughs> to, well, <laughs> the callots. <laughs> Stick to callots ratio is about even. That's the grower. Runs the place. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah. It's been fun uh, checking out a bunch of different Thai grows, trying to talk to as many Thai people. Actually, I have a meeting with a cool guy, an uh, old school guy has been growing, for, you know, many, many decades up when we go up to Chiang Mai uh, and a couple other people that were, I uh, got invited to go see their farm. So we might have to get together and do a little, a little tour together with, with the crew here. And uh, that'd be fun. But there's definitely a bunch of people who are going to be visiting when we go up to Chiang Mai here in the beginning of December. It's the sure. old school, the people that have been growing for a while is, I, you know, I'm always on that hunt for new smells, man, and structures that are not, that are not hybrids. I want something that's, well, you know what I'm saying, something that's an heirloom, land race, that they, that someone legitimately knows is, you know, something they kept because it was special, you know? I, I love you finding oh, that yeah. stuff. And it doesn't even matter. Sometimes you even go into, like, the what. You never know what you're going to come up across. I mean, you, you know? Yeah, well, give everybody a quick rundown on the one that you showed us earlier because I don't think you talked about it on this show. Uh, I'm super excited to crack some of those beans. Uh, but yeah, tell everybody I got, about that. I got about the, the, the I got, cool little story. I got about 800 seeds, bro. That's what I got off that. That out of the well, no, I take that back. I got about 150 of the ones in the envelope that he handed me when when I was out front with that big plant. Uh, and then off the back one that was that one was folded in half uh, it broke but it was at least it was taller than the other two that were like 18 feet that other one in front was the big one the one i took at home here <laughs> that was the big one but but the other one in the back it was still alive i mean it was at least it was over 20 feet too i mean so and i got like six Set, I don't know, I got a ton of beans off that. And they were all, the, you couldn't tell the difference because I put, took the ones out of the envelope and some of the ones I pulled, extracted myself and put aside. Did you, I couldn't tell the difference. I think that he got them off the plant in the back. That's what my, my feeling. Uh, I kept them separated, but but still though, to me, I, I will let to see if you can run, you know, the same, it's the same to me. <laughs> they're massive, dude. They're, uh, ma they're massive beans. You don't see that in Asian strains for the land. land. Sir, you take, show, can you show? Can you show that bean compared to a, norm, a normal bean? Yeah, hell yeah. I'll spotlight you here because these things yeah, are I'll, huge. I'll they're like I'll get something from like back home, like a normal, legit. Just a normal, legit. Good. Here we go, right here. This is a normal size seed, and then are these like peppercorns or like what? What what are they comparable to here? Yeah, some of them, you know, not yeah, more, yeah, they're all big, but some of them like you kind of gotta go through through them. You pour them, pour them out, you can see them better. Uh, see that guy here. Man, let me get let me get some. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Tell your friends about the show and check out our other show, Dat Smoke Show, on the Dat Smoke Show channel. Um, it's also available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Now. Uh, you can listen to both of the shows in audio format as well if you don't like looking at our ugly mugs.
Another thing I was going to mention, um, I was recent. You can check out the Aquaponic Congress. Uh, they have uh, videos. Uh, my presentation from the Aquaponics Congress on cannabis production is on there, so you can check that out. Uh, we covered a lot of cool stuff in that presentation. And then I'll also be speaking the weekend after the Aquaponic uh, Cannabis Conference, which is the 14th and 15th of January. Uh, I'll also be speaking at Our Future, uh, which is uh, Matt Powers' um, uh, conference with uh, John Kemp, uh, Chris Trump, and um, forget who the other speakers are. Uh, Matt Powers uh, is organizing that. Uh, really appreciate him uh, inviting me onto that. Uh, definitely check that out. It's r-future.com. All right. Let's see if I can get some good. I should flip my screen for sure. Now these here are uh, these are these are a pheno of the freaky bastard that was more it had more of a normal leaf structure, and I knocked it with S one uh, Terry Cola auto pollen because I had this plant around, so that's what these are. But there, there's fat. I look for something that had their fat, but look at that tie right here. These are those tie seeds. I mean, you can see the difference. And these are not small seeds. There's pieces of rice there. Oh yeah, those are those are big as well. So you see what I'm saying? They're ball. They're like perfectly brown too. Like these seeds are like dude, they're huge, man. I'm telling those are you. Peppercorns, I'm like, man. Let me get over here to where I'm regular light. Yeah. Dude, they're Brass fatty. Like and they're gray spotted. There's gray spots, dude. They're so cool. Like I could just, I could just rattle these all together, and you'd be able to pick them out. They don't look nothing alike. They're really, they're like gray, uh, and they're all like that. So it's not like maybe they're sitting in the, even the pods, the pods that were green, 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 that were huge. I could see that there was a big seed in it, and but it's fully still. And sugar, I took videos. I have videos of the buds. I took video of it. I took pictures of the buds. Everything I could document these giant plants at a watt. You know what I'm saying? For me, that's like, that's like, I was like, luck, bro. I, I was told the kid, dude, you're a player, bro. I love you. Because you just hooked me up something that was, to me that was cool. I was like a kid in a candy store there. Are you kidding me, dude? And you know, the, the Buddha wanted genetics. He's like, oh, I want to grow some West Coast stuff, some sticky, sticky. I was like, right on. And I had pack on me, so I gave him those. And, and then uh, then he wanted to puff. So they, my, my buddy that showed me the wad, he had, he, he had uh, smoke. So he took off with the, with the monk into the, into the wad to go burn, I guess. That which was cool. And I, but when they were taking off, I asked the Buddha, I was like, hey, Dude, can I, can I take the millet? Millet, can I take more millet? Okay, and he's like, dude, knock yourself out. Uh, take it. Well, his buddy told me, yeah, yeah, you can take all you want. Oh man, at that point, I just like took a couple more pictures before I just like literally just hand stripped every lateral. I just like would take it and I just like strip it and I just put it in my bag, like green and all leaves. And then I was taking the tips, 
of the flowers, which I still have here. Where's that flower bowl, sweetie pie? I kept the flowers, dude. The, the tips, they didn't dry out to be much because they were, it looked like it went in a revenge. I don't know what it was doing, dude. Uh, but it had trichomes and it had these little nugs at the tips of the branch. I mean, listen to the beans. If you want to just know one thing, you can know the sound of like the weight of a bean when it drops. Listen to these things. They're so heavy. It's amazing. You can almost like fling them at your forehead and you'd be like, ouch. But here's like. So it's like they're all in there. The beans are still in there, just not just little nugs. And they see no foxtails. They were like pea. They were just the structure. I have it on video. You can see the, the lateral. I try to get the whole lateral. What's like, man, it is like a structure of an OG structure. It was this, you know, like a Christmas tree ish. And then the lad, the way the, 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 uh, the bud sites were set up out the laterals were like, you know, just they're pop, poppy pops. They, they weren't none of that really that fox tail. At the end of the branch was just a, a bud, like, you know, normal. But they were, you know, like I said, I'm not going to say they were like banging density and looking fire. I mean, they look good, they're color, but they're just small, you know? And, and there's no mango in the smell. See, that's another thing. Here, finally, there's a new smell, and it smells like, I was telling my, it smells like almost like a black licorice cough syrup. Be sweet, though. I can't explain it, dude. This is a funky smell. It doesn't smell, uh, it's not mango. I don't know what it is. Like I said, you'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, you just go run these things, man. You better run them somewhere where they got room to boom. <laughs> outdoor obviously so right? I to, well i want to run them both in the greenhouse and then we'll run some on the outdoor right on. Now, i'm assuming those are mercy and dominant then the, the, the mangoes the what those mangoes are probably mercy and dominant yeah the, but i don't know the mangoes rampant though i tell you that there's more mango smell here than any other smell in cannabis i believe the mango takes the cake on i don't uh, know I haven't found it to be high in mercy. Like, it's not stony in that same way. So if it okay. is, it has something else that's kind of balancing. It doesn't have that, like, Afghan or Paki, like, knock well, I, Yeah, I just, just well, because, like, <laughs> I know the mango is listed under one of the mercy and one, so I assumed that it would be, that I just assumed it would be mercy and dominant. But, yeah, maybe it is stabilized by something else in there. So it's not as yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you that it doesn't have that same feeling and what you knocked down. Yeah, okay, very cool. It definitely tastes mangoey though. We have a male right now that's actually Kanatai uh, has smelled it. It's just really mango smelly, yeah. like mango, like fruit cup kind of thing. Yeah, there's certain mangoes here that smells you get that are like. Some are like that real sweet, sweet, almost like a finish, that yellow mango, that real sweet, where it, you know, it's, you know, it's just sugar. And then you get that other mangoes here that are almost like a, like a sour. I'm not going to say like a sour, like as in sour, diesel sour. I'm talking like a young mango smell, so to speak. Uh, 
right thing mm -hmm. yeah there's there's different mango just mango is a lot of smell but some of that younger mango smells amazing too uh ever i smell like recce wreck smells out here that i swear they're not crossed they just but i'm not saying it's like it's kind of like in that direction uh so i've smelled in the thai stuff out here weird stuff man lots of fruits though they i think this place takes the cake in types of fruits bananas pineapples uh yeah man you know mango as well as peach and i mean you get smells out here man bubble gum uh you guys have guava candy. there cotton candy do this one right here where is this one plant will be hanging behind me this is stupid stupid i'll i gotta save you some so you can smell it uh uh because i'm telling you it just don't smell like your uh there's not mango in it and it's like I told my wife, you know, what did you think about this thing? It smells like to me like what? this thing. It smells like if you now it's changing. See the cures come off. See finally it's this the longer it cures, the better. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying about that. I'm talking about the smell. The smell is well, ever. It, it smells like like orange tang with cotton candy. Like if you poured orange tang in the cotton candy thing, and that's like the smell that. You can smell cotton candy a mile away when you're walking by. It's hitting up the circus or the fair. You're walking by, you smell cotton candy. So, if at least I can, my nose, I got a sensitive nose. So, uh, but this this stuff here and the structure is not the structure. I'm not going to say the production because, of, of course, it's just like there's nothing to it. But the smell that comes out of this, and there's no beans. I think I found, I found one, I think, and I'm not sure. If, that was out of something else. I was twisting here, so I'm not going to legitimately think it's out of here. But I wish I had beans for, from this. The kid dropped us off. He did a video. <laughs> Gave my wife a video. That he's on his way here, and his buddy is on the back doing a video holding these big branches hanging off the back <laughs> of the scooter, and they're just flying down some back country road, you know? And they said they're, like, in route. We're on our way. And then, like, 10 minutes later, they come in with this these big old branches and it's this stuff. You know where you are. And it reeked as soon as it, because I got my fan right here, right? I got my fan. As soon as they walked in the door, I smelled that. I was like, damn, dude, what the fuck is that? Because it wasn't mango. I was like, what the fuck is that smell? It don't smell like. You know, what do you look for? What, what does he do? He'll pick, you know? Oh, yeah. He's a butcher. Or, yeah, or yeah, he's a butcher. But over here, you know, you start with a lot. Yeah. So. <laughs> he's been in the dark and he comes here and gets cancer cookie. Oh. So he's being me that. Yeah, he comes through and gets smoke. You know, he, it, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, man, this stuff here smells really good. I don't know. It's, def it's definitely different. It's not, the, not your average, but of course. I've I got, think you don't want this one like you. What? Yeah. Uh -huh. I don't know, this one. Yeah. When you smoke it, you can do anything. You know, like energy. But yeah, she said energy. Don't like sit. Like, yeah, no couch lock. Yeah, you know, you smoke it and go out there and put the dirt or whatever you, your thing is. Oh, yeah, good yeah. yeah. Good daytime smoke, she says. But depend Anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we wrap up the show, guys? No, I'm good, bro. I'm good. Or Wes? Good to go. Be man. sure to check out our. Um, yeah, man. Okay. Yeah.
be sure to check out our other show, That Smoke Show. Uh, yeah, uh, like, subscribe. You can find it on uh, most uh, podcasting platforms. Uh, yeah, like, subscribe. Uh, yeah. And where can people get? Uh, and you can find me on Instagram as well. Where can people get a hold of you, Canatai Seeds? Uh, you should catch us over Instagram, Canatai Seeds at Instagram. What's up there, Infamous? Um, just kicking it. I didn't figure you guys wanted to watch me do all the dirty chores I've been up to today, so I had the camera off. But I've been in tune. Uh, find us over on Instagram at infamousgardens underscore v2.0. I'm having lots of drama, so I can't follow anyone. So if I don't follow you back, it's nothing personal. They're giving me grief. So get us over there or uh, find us on YouTube now. We're on YouTube under Infamous Gardens. So make sure you go over and toss us a, a like and subscribe over there as well for some new upcoming content. So check it out. And Potent, where can uh, people find you, Your Majesty? You can find me on uh, <laughs> uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, all the things. Uh, also, be sure to check out, we have a sale right now in all of our classes, uh, apmjclass.com, thepestclass.com, nutrientclass.com. Um, all of them are on sale right now. If you use the, uh, the coupon code fall F A L L uh, you can save money uh, now through Krampus. So I thought rather than doing a black Friday sale, uh, and promoting capitalism and all that stuff, it'd be more fun than just to promote Krampus. So it's our, uh, Thanksgiving and Krampus sale. So <laughs> yes, I nice. Yeah. Hey, you know, I want to do one more thing. I forgot because I'm trying to get subscribers, y'all. I, I, I can't tie it. It's on YouTube now. And I'm trying to get enough subscribers now so I can start sharing some stuff on there. So I appreciate it if y'all hit that up. <laughs> awesome. I'll get, I'll get so, those both in the description uh, so that people have a link for those. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And be sure to check out our episode yesterday from the Dat Smoke Show. We had quite a long episode with a whole bunch of people. I think we had 10 people on for most of the show. <laughs> it was great yesterday. It was killer. But nah, I was so cooked after it wrote my day off. I did not get much shit done after blazing. <laughs> <for> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a good one and a long one. It was like four and a half hours. So yeah. if you need something to listen 444. to. 4.44. Yeah, we had lots of good laughs right. and good, tons of good grow info and it was just a good episode. So check that out as well. All right, guys. Thanks, everybody. For